A warm up from below, welcome to Wolfing Las Vegas for Ghost to Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson. For those of you guys that are still listening on the Hoopin' with Hoops feed, just a friendly reminder that this is going to switch full-time to the Coast to Coast Hoops feed right around this time next week. So I've got the link down, though, for the feed on iHeart, Google Play. You're able to throw in their Spotify, Apple Podcasts. list goes on and on. If you go down there, you're going to find that. And along with that, you then wind up getting the time markers for all the game previews with regards to this podcast, all that good stuff. Have no fear. Same great podcast. Just wound up having a little bit of a name change because now we are with the VEASAN family of podcasts right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, and we got a great podcast for you as in the second segment, we go out to the great city of Seattle. That's where we find Curtis Rogers. He is better known as a kid from Kent on Twitter. He does some great work over there with Sub-10 ESPN, does a little bit of everything, and he's dialed in with regards to Pac-12 Hoops. We're going to get his thoughts on the Gavit games, a way that we want to see the Big East just completely dominate the Big Ten. In those, we're going to be taking a look forward to what we're going to be seeing out here in Las Vegas tonight, as well as... Arizona is his alma mater, and my near post play of the day is going to be that Arizona versus Wichita State game, so have no fear there. We're going to get that for you in the final segment with the full breakdown, what exactly I'm picking, but going to have a great chat there with Curtis, and like I said, final segment, picks and analysis, every single game on the betting board for today, and this is a podcast that's dedicated to things, making guys money, and just making you guys a little bit more informed about college basketball in general, so if you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you've got one of two ways we offer these in, first one is my Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore 81, keep in mind letters EM, I mean, it does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Got in a lot of normal questions yesterday. If I wound up forgetting any of them yesterday, I do apologize. Wound up having quite a jammed up mentions feed yesterday on Twitter. We had a bunch of new followers. I appreciate all of you guys that have come aboard. And I appreciate all of you guys that have been my picks. I put out everything for free. I do everything that I can to help you guys get to the window. How you guys use that information is up to you. You can give me credit. You can not give me credit. I really do not care. As long as you are listening to the podcast, as long as you follow along on social media, that's all I really want from you guys. I do appreciate each and every one of you guys that have done so. Wound up getting, like I said, a nice windfall of followers. Big shout out to Megan Making Money who wound up giving me that nice plug yesterday. So I truly do appreciate Glad she's off to a great start to the season. I'm glad so many of you guys are off to a great start to the season. But the key to being able to make money in this industry is to not rest on your laurels. Take a look at what's went right, what's went wrong. So let's take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing on Thursday with regards to college basketball. Find some trends. Try to get to know these teams a little bit better in the process. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Had some early games from the Myrtle Beach Invitational and New Mexico State, who opened up as an underdog. Many people credit me to them getting steamed. Well, the steam was correct in this one. 76-64, the final. New Mexico State goes bombs away. 11-25 from three-point range. New Mexico State, when they're at their best, typically they're able to go right around 10 deep. They're not quite there yet, but... 
They did wind up getting a very good performance out of Serge Barry Rice. He had 17 points. He goes 4 or 5 from 3. 7 boards in this one for Davidson. It's a bunch in which they really like to play slow. The defense seems to be lax a little bit. 9 to 26 from 3 for them. They wind up losing the rebound battle by kind of 38 to 28. For Davidson, give them credit. Only 7 turnovers in this one, but New Mexico State just too hot to handle. When you take a look at the other tournament that's going out there in the state of South Carolina, you've got St. Bonaventure and Boise State who wound up doing battle and Boise State just couldn't put the ball in the basket in the final few minutes. A miracle under for those of us that had it as final 214 of the game featured no points. 67 to 61 the final for the Bonnies of St. Bonaventure. Oshun Oshuni wound up having 7.7 boards. There was a little bit of concern that he might be injured and that would be significant as St. Bonaventure dealt with them being out with injury for 7 games during the 2019-20 season. They were 1-6 and six when he was off the floor. 18-6 and six with him. He also had 4 blocks in this game. Jerron Holmes had a double-double 14 points, 10 rebounds, and for Boise State, 9 of 26 from three point range with Emmanuel Acott going 6 of 9 from three, 24 points. So he was able to do his part. If you wound up taking the opening with Boise State, he got there, wound up seeing quite a bit of steam with St. Bonaventure. And if you wound up having Penn getting 7.5, this is one that wound up opening up 9.5. This was brutal. Double overtime against Utah State, and Utah State gets their 87-79 to in a game that you can legitimately make the argument that the three being switched to a two wound up causing Penn the game as they went 9-33 of from three. Jordan Dingle was able to put in their 31 points, but... Utah State, what they were able to do very well was be able to get a big performance out of Justin Bean. 33 points, 16 rebounds, 4 assists, 4 steals. I heard he sold hot dogs at the hot dog stand during halftime as well. I mean, he was doing a little bit of everything for the team. Utah State looks to be getting back online after that season opening loss to UC Davis. So, it's going to be intriguing to watch them moving forward. Going to be intriguing to see how Temple winds up playing moving forward as well because they just flat out quit on this game. We're going to call it what it is. 75-48 to 48 the final. It's not necessarily been the world's greatest start to the year for the American Conference in general and for Clemson. They wind up going 11 of 21 from three-point range. ACC has had their deficiencies as well, but when it comes to this Temple team, it certainly has been rough for them for the last few years in general when it comes to just having Aaron McKee at the helm. And when you take a look at the American, I was very intrigued by what conferences are doing best slash worst against the spread. And I found that as of right now, they are 16 and 19 against the spread as a collective with East Carolina actually 3 and 1 against the spread. So go figure that they're right now your best cover team. But I actually thought it was a little bit worse than that in taking a look at it. But Temple, they certainly got dump trucked in this one. And you just take a look at college basketball in general because I've been talking a lot on this podcast about how the under has been doing relatively solid in college basketball. It's something that I'm going to be talking about a little bit more on the podcast tomorrow as well as we're going to have our good friend Kai McKeon of the three-man weave joining me. He always brings it. But if you're just taking a look at all games. The under is currently hitting at a 54% clip. We've got a couple West Coast games that are still going on as I'm doing this as I have to always have this posted up by Midnight Pacific. So not all results are in, but a lot of them are And Something else I'm going to be hitting on with him as well. Home underdogs, 46-29 against the spread. And you wound up seeing that in the Gavit games as the two very small underdogs in the Big East that wound up being home dogs on Thursday. They both came through. Xavier, 71-65 to over the Ohio State University. Ohio State was lucky that this was their first loss because they probably should have lost to Akron, but he's Jay Liddell. Had a solid performance, 17 points, 7 rebounds. The rest of the team didn't necessarily do their part as Xavier winds up winning the rebound battle, 43-35 to without Zach Fremantle in the fold. And the guy that was really able to help this team out, Jack Nunch. How about a 14 out of 14 off the bench? Xavier goes 5 
of 24 from three-point range, but it's about what they didn't do. Turn the ball over. 11 turnovers for them. They were able to do a relatively rock-solid job there, and you wound up having Paul Scruggs give you 14 points. He did just enough for this team while Ohio State, they were able to go 8 of 21 from three-point range. They just weren't able to get there on the glass, and then you did wind up seeing DePaul get a nice win over Rutgers by a count of 73 to 70 for Rutgers. They wound up going to overtime with Lehi. Have not looked great in general. They did go 10 of 27 from three-point range for them. That's relatively solid. Ron Harper Jr., 19 points, 11 rebounds, and then you had Geo Baker chip in there, 15 points, 6 assists, but for DePaul, they go 9 of 24 from three-point range, and they overcome 18 of 33 free-throw shooting. They wind up having just a seven-man rotation in this one. But you don't just get a Freeman. You don't just get Liberty. You get both with Javon Freeman Liberty. 19 points, 9 rebounds. He was solid. And then you want to gain 22 points out of Mr. David Jones, who wanted coming in, had himself a nice performance in this one for DePaul. And then also out there in the Big East, how about Marquette? 78-72. to They wind up taking down Ole Miss in the Charleston Classic themselves. And for Marquette, 13-32 from three-point range. That's really been the big question for this team. Daryl Marcel, one of the better on-ball defenders in all of college basketball. 22 points. He went 3-5 of five from distance at Ole Miss. They just shot themselves in the foot at the free-throw line. 6-15 of 15 when it comes to free-throw shooting percentage. And that was a tough one for an SEC that, by and large, has been able to cover a lot of spreads. You take a look at South Carolina as a little bit of an underdog. They get the job done against UAB. 66-63. Was unsure why the total was set north of 140. UAB, with regards to points given up on a per-possession basis last season, was in the top five in all of college basketball. For South Carolina, they wound up having a quadrant of guys give you 12-plus points as you wound up having James Reese along with Eric Stevenson give you quite a bit of something. Wildens Lavik was able to chip in their 13 points, so that was a quality win for them. You had LSU just completely dump truck McNeese State by a kind of 85-46, to 46, and you're fortunate one if you want to take in Missouri they were able to get there as Northern Illinois was up by kind of 31 to 28 at the under 12 media timeout and then from there Northern Illinois just pooped all over themselves they got outscored by 20 points at the final 11 minutes of the game and they wound up having their final points come at the 439 mark they were down at that point by a kind of 43 to 37 and they allowed the final 11 to Missouri so that way they're able to get to the window so if you wound up having our good friends Northern Illinois that was tough if you had Missouri like I did that was good and it's also good if you wound up having Florida 81 to 45 the final Pat Ball won junior at 13 points for UW-Milwaukee and you could tell that UW-Milwaukee they just weren't able to get anything going on offense this is a bunch of which they wind up going 2 of 12 from 3 point range Florida had gotten away from their defense a little bit in recent years it looks like it's back in full force and that's thanks to Colin Castleton 19 points 10 rebounds shipped in there 2 steals for Florida they go as a collective 11 of 28 from 3 point range with Tyree Apple be giving you 14 points he hit a quadrant of 3 so Florida's a team that's really standing out to me they're looking very impressive I was talking about the American there against the spread record thus far this season you take a look at what the SEC is doing and it's absolutely remarkable what they've been able to do they are 24-20 and 1 against the spread thus far this season I was talking about the Big East a little bit earlier as well you take a look at their record against the spread thus far this season and they've been relatively rock solid as well my math might be off but I believe that the Big East is now 20 and 14 against the spread so they certainly have been able to do some nice things 
who else is doing a couple nice things. You take a look at a little bit more of what we wound up seeing from college basketball with regards to the top 25 teams, and Kansas was just able to dump truck Stony Brook. A Stony Brook team that I actually had number one in my projector or finish coming into the season of the America East, 88-59 to for Kansas. 10 of 28 from three-point range. Keep in mind, these first couple games have been without their top rebounder, Jalen Wilson. I have them number two in regards to my power rankings behind Gonzaga with regards to top teams in all of college basketball. They were able to do a nice job with regards to winning the rebound battle by a count of 41-31. to And then you take a look at Stony Brook. It is a team that wound up getting out-turnovered by a count of 14-7 to as well. So it was just a case in which it was Kansas being able to control every facet of basketball. You had Oklahoma play a little bit of a tight one against East Carolina. Oklahoma and TCU were unable to cover double-digit spreads as you had Oklahoma winning against East Carolina by a count of 79-74. to Going to be interesting to watch this Oklahoma team moving forward because Porter Mosier, as we remember at Loyal Chicago, Played a very slow style. This game seemed to get a little bit sped up on Oklahoma, but they were able to go 8 of 21 from 3 point range. Meanwhile, East Carolina, they wound up having a nice game from Tristan Newton, 18 points, so they might be a little bit of a sleeper out there in the American. And then you did wind up having TCU be just barely unable to cover against Nichols by kind of 63 to 50. Nichols was more around a 13 and a half to a 14 point underdog, but for Nichols, they do wind up going 7 to 25 from 3 point range. TCU, they were able to do just enough in this one as they wound up being able to win the rebound battle. Nichols did by kind of 36 to 35, but for TCU, what they did a solid job of forcing 19 turnovers as you wound up having Ty Gordon along Devontae Carter in the Nichols backcourt combined for 12 turnovers, so that was not necessarily too terrific. What was terrific, though, is for Virginia Tech, a team that should be ranked. They just completely pummeled St. Francis of Pennsylvania, 85-55. to This is a real sleeper that I'm taking a look at right now with Virginia Tech. They did a nice job on defense as St. Francis held 33% shooting from the field. Meanwhile, for Virginia Tech, despite the fact that they don't have great size, they wound up winning the rebound battle by a count of 42-30. to You don't necessarily have that one key headliner for this team, though Kevi Aluma is very solid, but they were able to just go in there, and they were just able to completely dominate this game. Speaking of being relatively dominant, that is what we wound up seeing as well from Washington State. As they wind up going on the road, they go to Ido and they just not just beat them down because this is an Ido team that they've been one of the worst in the college basketball in recent years, but they shoot 60% from the floor. They put up 109, 109 to 61. Washington State, I think at some point, might wind up getting ranked, and you take a look at it, and they had eight different guys give you at least eight points. Actually, nine different guys give you at least eight points. They go 10 of 22 from three-point range. A poor, lowly Ido. They wind up losing the rebound battle by kind of 37 to 26 for Washington State. Five turnovers on this game, and they made 40 shots. I mean, that is just absolutely remarkable. What else is remarkable? The fact that Oregon State wound up losing to Samford. Not Stanford, Sam Iamford. Oregon State, after they wound up making the Elite Eight last year, have now lost to Tulsa. They had a tough time with Portland State. They lose by double digits to an Iowa State team that I think is going to be dead last out there in the Big 12. Now keep in mind, Oregon State also lies here on their own floor, lost to Wyoming and they took a terrible loss to Portland, but good grief. This Oregon State team is not looking good. What's looking much better though, being able to get a good guest on this podcast and Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN in Seattle. He certainly fits the bill. Coming up next, we're going to be looking forward to Arizona coming to Las Vegas to play tonight. We're also going to be taking a look at what we're going to be seeing in general on this Friday and get his thoughts on the first week plus of the college basketball season. That's on the other side right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the VEASAN Family Podcast.
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying cows are bust. You can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my game. <laughs> Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. We're back here in Lobby Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the v family of podcasts and a man that does absolutely terrific work out here on the West Coast, out there in Seattle, Washington. That'd be my good friend, Curtis Rogers. Curtis is absolutely remarkable with all the work that he does for 710 ESPN in Seattle. He does pre and post game work with the Seattle Mariners. He does some work when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks. He's also an Arizona alum and We've got to get his thoughts on that Arizona game later on here in the interview as you'll be able to follow Curtis Rogers on Twitter. That is at a kid from Kent altogether. And Curtis, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you. Greg, always a pleasure hopping on with you. Always a pleasure talking college basketball. I mean, we're just we're a couple weeks in now and starting to get a good read on who these teams might be and looking forward to diving in with you. I'm looking forward to it as well, and it has been a tremendous first week plus of the college basketball season, and just from everything that you've seen, what's really stood out to you? Because I feel like we can go in a wide variety of different ways, and depending on who you are, various things stick out to various people that wind up following this sport, but what's really stood out to you first week plus of the season? Well, I mean, being out here on the West Coast, I don't think there's any denying that Gonzaga seems to be the team to beat again in the regular season. I mean, they just have been 
as dominant, if not more. I mean, their huge win over Texas really sort of showed the nation that, yeah, this team's going to be for real again. And they did it without much contribution that night from Chet Holmgren. And then another thing that I'm looking at right now, and as somebody that has not totally bought into the Big Ten as one of the best conferences in all of college basketball. You look at their start to the Gavit tip-off games, I mean, they start off 0-4 against the Big East. They did sort of, you know, get a couple back there with Michigan State beating Butler and Indiana beating St. John's. But number 10, Illinois falling to Marquette. Number 4, Michigan falling at home to Seton Hall. Going off of what they did in the NCAA tournament last year, the Big Ten leaving plenty to be desired with tons and tons of upsets. You know, you had obviously Ohio State losing in the first round. You had Iowa getting smoked in the second round there. Illinois, another team that lost super early in the NCAA tournament. You kind of wonder, is the Big Ten kind of falling victim to what they fell victim to a year ago and that's just tons and tons of press but not being able to live up to it those to me right now are two storylines that i'm going to be following very closely you know whether or not gonzaga can just absolutely destroy everybody once again they've got that game coming up against ucla and then also the big 10 can they survive here in the gavit tip-off games they've got a good shot thursday night Ohio State, Xavier, Rutgers, and DePaul. But you've got two top 10 teams losing already. That does not look good for the strength of the conference. I'm right there with you. It certainly has been a rough one for the Big Ten in the Gavit games. They were just dropping game after game. And you take a look at the Michigan State win, and that was against a Butler team that was all sorts of banged up as well. So not necessarily looking great for them, as we do have Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN in Seattle joining me on the podcast. And let's put it to you, frankly, the Pac-12 hasn't necessarily looked terrific with a lot of their teams either. You wound up seeing Oregon have one of the worst performances I've seen from an Oregon team in quite a while against BYU, Cal winding up losing to UC San Diego to begin the year was not good. Stanford going on the road, losing to Santa Clara was not good. And then out there in your neck of the woods, Northern Illinois going to the state of Washington and being able to get a win. I would call that a low light, but there is one very good bright spot in Arizona. How do you take a look at this conference right now? Because I think that Oregon is going to be just fine after their loss to BYU. And I certainly do think that Arizona and UCLA are looking like very good teams. Couple with USC, got to give them a little bit of credit. But aside from those four, it feels like the same old Pac-12 in which it's going to be very top-heavy and then the rest is sort of, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned the bottom of the conference. I mean, Washington, oh. Cal, those two teams are going to be fighting for 11th and 12th place all season long. I don't think there's any denying that. Oregon State, I kind of anticipate them falling back after their miracle run last year to the Elite Eight. And then you look at the top end of the conference, I think you know Arizona was a team that people were kind of like, I wonder what they're going to be like you know, in their first year under Tommy Lloyd. The book was pretty much written on them every single season when Sean Miller was their head coach. He kind of knew what they were going to be. They were going to be a team that plays a ton of man-to-man defense, and they're going to really slow the pace down offensively. They're going to be efficient in getting the ball in the bucket, but they're not going to really push it. And you look at their first three games for the Wildcats, they have really put the ball in the bucket. Now, they haven't played a ton of great competition. NAU, Texas Rio Grande Valley, and then North Dakota State. All three of those teams really aren't you know much to write home about, but they've scored at least 81 points in all those games. They get their first real test here coming up on Saturday against Wichita State, like you said, in your neck of the woods there. Should be an interesting game. I mean, Wichita State, not necessarily the Shockers teams that we've seen from them in the recent past. 
past within the last decade or so. But I think there is going to be plenty of opportunity for both teams to try and prove that, hey, we're for real here. And I look at Arizona in a wide open Pac-12 outside of UCLA and Oregon. There's going to be room for them to, you know, make some noise to jockey their positioning in that conference and, you know, maybe catch a couple of teams by surprise this year. I think the talent that Arizona has on the roster is really good. I don't necessarily think it's it's up to the level of Arizona teams that we've seen in the past, but I do think that they are a team that if things go right for them this year, I could see them in the NCAA tournament for sure. I think I could see them you know, maybe lower than an eight seed, but not necessarily, you know, a team that's going to sneak in as a 12 seed or anything like that. I think they're a team that could, you know, get into the NCAA tournament, you know, maybe comfortably as an at-large, but anything beyond that, I'm not expecting them to make any sort of deep run this year, but I think they have the talent to, to get into the field of 68. And when you take a look at this Arizona bunch, as we do have Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN joining me on the podcast, what do you expect from them in terms of a tempo standpoint? Because what we've seen from Arizona this year is that they're averaging right around 90 points per game. We saw the walloping that they wound up putting on North Dakota State. They wound up taking Northern Arizona to the woodshed as well. They have been dominating teams and they've looked very good on offense, but what gets lost in all that is on a per-possession basis, they also rank in the top five with regards to fewest points allowed. So what are you expecting from this Arizona team? Because we've seen them be explosive on offense, but the defense looks really darn good too. It does, and a big reason for that is the guy in the middle, Christian Coloco, the junior who was a Sean Miller recruit. He has been having an incredible start to the season, averaging career highs in points, rebounds, and also blocks in the first three games. 14 points, almost seven boards, four blocks a game. He has always been really good defensively, but has never really gotten the kind of playing time that you would hope for if you were Christian Coloco, but he has been just a force down in the middle. Omar Ballo, another guy who has you know contributed some really good defensive minutes down low. I think those two guys have really kind of shown that coming down the lane against them, not going to be easy. And then another guy who was the Big Sky Defensive Player of the Year last year, I think, Kim Aiken Jr., the transfer from Eastern Washington, giving them really good perimeter defense off the bench. This is an Arizona team right now, like you said, that for as good as they've been offensively, defensively, they've been just as impressive, not allowing more than just, you know, what, like 52 points in a game so far. I believe Tommy Lloyd is the first coach in Arizona history in his first three games to have two games decided by 50 or more points. So they made pretty quick work of everybody that they played this season. I'm very excited to see how they're going to play against Wichita State. And look, Wichita State, they've got talent. I mean, Tyson Etienne, you don't know what his status is going to be coming into this game on Saturday. If he plays, I think this game is going to be a little bit closer than Arizona, I think, is expecting right now. But I think it's going to be a fun one to watch. I do think so as well. And we do have Curtis Rogers joining me right here on the podcast. And when you take a look at the board for Friday, obviously that's going to be a big one. Wichita State versus Arizona. I personally think that Arizona should be able to win this game quite handily, but there are still quite a few good games out there. I take a look at a game like Ohio versus Kentucky, and I think that the Bobcats are going to be able to hold in that one. I want to see a little bit more from teams like Memphis and Alabama. They're finding themselves as right around two touchdown, 15-ish point favorites. So 
It's going to be fascinating to see how they wind up looking. Is there any other games in general that you're taking a look at and they really catch your eye? In the nightcap, you've got Michigan on the road against UNLV. or Well, it's a neutral site game. It's played at T-Mobile Arena, but it's in Las Vegas, which is obviously where UNLV makes their hay. You've got the Wolverines coming off that disappointing loss this week against Seton Hall at home. How are they going to respond in basically a true road game here against the UNLV team that you know may not be as memorable as as a lot of the UNLV teams of the past. But when you have a tough loss like the Wolverines had earlier this week, the last thing you want to do is go on the road into an environment that you're unfamiliar with. And that's what we're going to see as they take on the running Rebels there. To me, I think that's a game that I would be very interested to see how Michigan responds if they are able to respond and get the win against the Rebels. I don't think there's any reason to worry here early on for the Wolverines. But if they do struggle, if it's a, you know, one possession game or so at the very end and maybe they sneak away and survive or heck even if they lose the game I think that might be a little reason to concern yourself with the Wolverines but that's a game I'm going to be watching as they take on UNLV in Vegas yeah that is going to be a really fun one as well as got some great action out here in the great city of Las Vegas both this week and next week as well because the Maui Invitational has now been moved to Las Vegas as well so We are certainly enjoying that. And Curtis, I always enjoy talking to you on this podcast as well because you do absolutely great work over there with 710 ESPN. You follow a little bit of everything, football, basketball, baseball. There's a hockey team out there in Seattle as well with the Seattle Crack, and I know that you've been doing a great job keeping tabs on them and so much more. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. Yeah, we've got plenty going on up here, especially college football coaching search season is both Washington and Washington <laughs> State looking for new head coaches. And USC. Yeah, and USC. A lot of teams out on the West Coast looking for new head guys. So we've got a lot of college football coverage going on right now. But yeah, like Greg said, NHL stuff too with the Kraken, who got enough to a start you would expect from an expansion franchise. But yeah, we're obviously keeping keeping tabs on college basketball up here as well, especially with Gonzaga being what they are, the juggernaut that they are. But if you want to follow along, add a kid from Ken on Twitter and Instagram is where you can find me. And like Greg said, you can download all the podcasts that I'm on, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is. You get your podcasts, you can find us there. And Curtis does absolutely amazing work over there with 710 ESPN and always does amazing work whenever he joins this podcast. Also join my baseball podcast a lot during the season, the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. So always a pleasure to be able to chat with Curtis. A big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops. And coming up next, it is that time the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 
2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my dance, <laughs> Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost to Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson. An absolute pleasure to get my good friend Curtis Rogers of 610 ESPN in Seattle on the podcast. Guy does a little bit of everything. He does Seattle Mariners pre and post game work. He is an Arizona alum. Obviously, we're going to be seeing them in action. He just does a little bit of everything out there in Seattle. And, oh yeah, over in his neck of the woods, there's that team called the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They're having a good run of things as well. Also does some football. If you like the Seattle Seahawks, he's got you covered there. So, big thanks to Curtis for joining me in the last segment. Now, it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Friday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GUnit underscore 81. We're going in Las Vegas rotation order with these. Reason is because when you wind up going to Las Vegas, you actually give the rotation number when you want to bet on the money line, the side, what have you, of the team that you're looking to bet on. Like, for instance, St. Thomas versus Youngstown State is 817-818. If you want to bet on Youngstown State, you'd be requesting, I want the spread of 818 for... $20 or whatever your bet size is. So that's why I do it that way. It keeps things all nice, neat, clean, and organized. And we are going to have some fun with it as we are going to be starting out with 813-814 on the bang board neutral court game. Between UNC Greensboro and UMass, this is a game that is presently off the board just because both of these teams wound up playing a game yesterday. You're going to find this with quite a few of these games, which are just is no overnight line just because they are a part of back-to-backs. But when it comes to my personal line, I've got you guys covered there as I wound up setting UNC Greensboro as a three and a half point favorite. Things got a little bit airy in their game against UW-Green Bay yesterday, but I do like the fact that they're going to have the best true low post presence in this game. That would be Mohamed Abdul-Salam. Someone that's giving you right around eight boards per game, and he pairs very well with Kyrie Thompson. 
who's also given the team right around 7.5 rebounds per game now. He was held scoreless as UNC Greensboro in general. They just weren't able to put the biscuit in the basket yesterday against UW-Green Bay going just 5 of 20 from 3-point range. Never has necessarily been their forte to be able to have explosive scoring. Meanwhile, you take a look at UMass and they played not necessarily a low-scoring game, not necessarily a high-scoring game yesterday against Weber State and it's really been the best and worst of times for them. Prior to their game yesterday against Weber State, won 81-56 against Penn State and also lost by 20 to Yale. So this is a team that's been up and down the boulevard and when you take a look at UMass, you've got the Kellys. Rich Kelly and CJ Kelly, a pair of guys that entered in yesterday, averaging about 24.5 points per game. You may remember Kelly was a 40% three-point shooter. Rich was while he was at Quinnipiac, a guy that's able to dole out the ball. You've got quite a few facilitators for UMass in Rich Kelly, along with Noah Fernandez. Fernandez last season was able to give this team right in the neighborhood about 4.5 assists per game. The big key for this team being able to get TJ Weeks online. As a freshman, shot 48% from three. Going into yesterday, he was shooting 11% from distance. Now, you do have Trent Butler Rock was able to give you right around 15 points, six and a half rebounds per game, but wound up setting UNC Greensboro as a three and a half point favorite. Devontae Buckingham putting in there right around 15 points per game, I think is going to be the anchor for UNC Greensboro. And I do think that you wind up getting some late game following, so I think that this is going to be a tad bit higher scoring than most UNC Greensboro games and set this total at a 135 and a half. A15, 816 on the betting board. The men of Troy are going to be playing against North Dakota. North Dakota is finding itself as a five to five and a half point underdog in your total on this game. You're getting it at a 138 and a half. And this is a spot in which I wound up setting the men of Troy as a six point favorite. Was very impressed by what I wound up seeing from them against Jacksonville State. Going to multiple overtimes, being able to get the job done in that game. And Scott Cross is legitimately a good coach. So I would give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in a lot of these games. And then when it comes to North Dakota, it's a bunch of which you've got a couple of mismatched parts. They wound up losing a lot due to the transfer portal. So that has set them by Nepal a little bit. Also keep in mind, this is part of the Paradise Jam. So this is a neutral court game out there in Boca Raton, Florida. So North Dakota obviously has to do a little bit more traveling. And when it comes to Troy, I think that they should be able to win the battle on the glass. Mitchell Sucre has been able to give you right around six boards per game for North Dakota. And then Caleb Nero is someone that I do like. He was a transfer from Weber State that's been pumping in there right around 10 points per game. Hasn't made a three all year long, though. And then you take a look at Troy, and you've got, say, Williams giving you right around seven boards per game. F.E. Odigi has been able to give you 13 points, four boards. He actually, in his freshman year at UTEP, during the 2018-19 season, averaged a double-double. So he is very capable of being a disruptor down low. Now, Troy, they don't necessarily have the world's greatest backcourt, but I do like the fact that they are bringing along for the ride someone in Duke Dean, who has been able to give the team five assists per game in his first couple contests as a freshman. So he's been able to help them out. Nick Sampley, you got to feel like he's going to be able to take control of the offense a little bit more, average double figures last season. And then when you take a look at this, North Dakota team, Ethan Ogbianu, He's been able to give you right around 11 points per game, so he's able to give you a little bit of this and that, but Troy is a team that they certainly have not been throttling upward under Scott Cross, unlike his time at UT Arlington. They've been a very slow team, so I did want to setting the total at a 134, especially with it being a neutral court game, so take a look at the under, and with Troy, one to lay up to six with them. 817-818 on the bang board. The Tommies of St. Thomas are going to be playing against Youngstown State. Youngstown State 
find themselves as anywhere between an 8.5 and a 9-point favorite, and your total on this game, you're going to be getting it anywhere between a 149.5 and a 150. And when it comes to this spot, I want to make in Youngstown State an 11-point favorite. St. Thomas is the first team really since the NCAA was in its current form to go from the D3 level to the D1 level, and they were able to get themselves a nice win against St. Francis of Brooklyn, but you do take a look at this Youngstown State team, and they themselves have been able to have themselves a pair of nice performances thus far. They lose but get the cover against Penn State, and then they go to Southeast Missouri State, and they put up 97 points. Also keep in mind that this is going to be a true home game for Youngstown State. You've got a lot of these neutral court games that are going to be going on this weekend, but when it comes to St. Thomas, last year as a collective at the D3 level, small sample size of seven games, but they wound up shooting as a collective about 40% from three-point range, and Anders Nelson was one of those top scorers. He's come up to the D1 level, averaging 24 points per game, but his three-point shooting percentage is sub-30%. You take a look at Youngstown State, and I give them the edge on the glass. Michael Cucci has been able to give you eight rebounds per game. Parker Jorkland has been able to give you eight rebounds per game as well when it comes to St. Thomas, but when it comes to Youngstown State as well, Garrett Covington, along with Mr. Rathan Mays, have been able to do a good job out there in the backcourt. Shamir Rathan Mays has been able to give you right around 12.5 points, shooting well from three. Covington also shooting north of 40% from three with his 14.5 points per game. I do think that you're going to get some scoring, but at the same time, I do think that St. Thomas and just their inefficiency, for lack of a better term, is going to nip them in the butt when it comes to this total, so I wound up setting it out of 147, so I'm going to be diving under. And with Youngstown State, I think that they're going to do a good job of holding St. Thomas to one and done opportunity, so set them as an 11-point favorite, so I'm going to be looking to lay the points as well. A19, A20 on the banging board. Middle Tennessee State is going to be playing against Stephen F. Austin. Stone Cold Stephen F. Austin is finding themselves anywhere between a 10.5 and an 11-point favorite, and your total on this game, you're going to be getting it at a 137, and when it comes to this spot, I did wind up making Stephen F. Austin only an 8.5-point favorite. I was impressed by what I wound up seeing out of Middle Tennessee in their last game. They were able to get a home win against a Winthrop team that year in and year out has been pretty darn solid, so that is something that deserves a little bit of a tip of the hat, in my opinion. Then you take a look at Stephen F. Austin, and in the first two games of the season against Mary Harden Baylor, a D3 school, and if you know anything about D3 athletics, they're actually a powerhouse when it comes to football, not so much basketball. They wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it there. They wound up playing against LXU Alexandria, and that was, I believe, a nine-point game as well, and then they wind up losing to South Dakota State, so hasn't been a great run for them there, despite the fact that they return a lot of pieces from last year. Gavin Kensville has been able to give you 18 points, 10.5 rebounds per game. He's been solid in Middle Tennessee. Not necessarily the world's greatest team on the glass, but they've been able to do a good job of being able to play some lockdown defense in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They've been one of the better ones out there, thanks to generating 11.3 steals per game, and a big key for this team, bringing in Josh Jefferson from UW-Green Bay. So right now pumping in there right around 11 points per game. He had 15 points per game last season while he was with the Phoenix. You've also so I had Donovan Sims doing some nice work out there in the backcourt last season. He was able to give this Middle Tennessee team only about 5.5 points per game. But keep in mind, during the 2018-19 season, was actually a 12-point-per-game score. He really fought a favor last year. This year, it looks like he's back with a little bit of a vengeance. And then you take a look at the Stephen F. Austin team. They're a team that they typically pride themselves on being able to generate turnovers as well. In terms of steals per game, they're generating 10 per contest. But 21 steals per game, that has always been a knock on them. I think the Middle Tennessee 
Tennessee is going to be efficient enough to be able to stay in this game. I think that you could wind up seeing some late game fouling as well, Middle Tennessee. I think that they're going to want to get their style, but I think that they're going to turn the ball over a lot in the process, causing things to be a little bit more sporadic. So, set the total at 144.5, looking at the over, and with getting double digits here with Middle Tennessee State, because I wound up setting Stephen F. Austin as an 8.5 point favorite, going to be taking the points here with the Blue Raiders. 821, 822 on the main board. Another game that is off the board because it is a part of one of those multi-team events as you've got Weber State to Ball State. They are going to be doing battle on a neutral court and when it comes to my line, I did wind up setting Weber State as a 5-point favorite and the total at a 143. Keep in mind with Ball State, if you go back to the beginning of the 2020-21 season, they've got the highest over rate in all of college basketball with darn near 80% of their games going over the total. You take a look at this Ball State bunch and you do have quite a few guys that are able to give you quite a bit of something. The most important in my opinion is Luke Bumbalo has been able to give the team 14.5 points per game entering into yesterday with shooting 44% from three-point range. They brought in Northern Illinois transfer Tyler Cochran, who was able to do a solid job for a Northern Illinois team that last season was just bad. 15.5 points, 7.5 rebounds. He's someone that at six foot two is able to give you right around six boards per game. I think that a little bit of their undoing is the fact that your really main form of low post play when it comes to Ball State is freshman Peyton Sparks, who has been able to give the team right around 8.5 rebounds per game, but when you you take a look at what you're able to get down low when it comes to Weber State. You do have quite a bit of size. Not necessarily designated rebounders. They have been without a couple of their key pieces as Dante Bassett has been missing for the first few games of the season. But what I really like for the team is that in the offseason they wound up bringing a Utah Valley transfer Jameson Overton. 6'6 six six combo player that didn't shoot it well from 3 last year but chipped in their 15.5 points. A little bit over 4 boards. 2 assists. A steal and a half per game. So he's able to do a little bit of this and that. Cody Carlson is someone that's saying 6'10 in the last year's a shot north of 40% from three-point range. Zaire Porter last season was able to shoot 42% from three with 12 points per game. Kobe McEwen winds up coming in from Marquette, and he's a guy that is able to give you five rebounds per game as well. I do think that Weber State is going to be able to have the upper end against a Ball State team that I just don't think that they're going to be able to take advantage of the weak point of Weber State, which is down low. So as a result, I did wind up making Weber State a five-point favorite, and I also made this total a 143. We move on to 823, 824 on the betting board. Pittsburgh is going to be playing us a thousand. The Tigers are anywhere between five and five and a half point underdogs in your tallest game is between 133 and 133 and a half. Except Pittsburgh has a 6.5 point favor. When it comes to Towson, relatively solid school, but at the same time, they do have a couple of deficiencies. And for Pittsburgh, no question, the backcourt has been very much bludgeoned. Nike Sabandi, who they were looking to for a lot of scoring early on this season, he wound up going out days before the start of the season due to a devastating injury. So now they've been running things down low a little bit more with John Hughley, who's been very solid for for this team. 19 points, 9 rebounds per game. Now they're going to need Femi Olakala to be able to come along for the ride. With Otakala, he has been able to give out right around 4 assists per game, but also 4.3 turnovers per contest. It's not been efficient. Now, part of that is because he went up against West Virginia and had 8 turnovers in that game. He's not going to be facing that much of a Towson defense. As you take a look at Towson, this has never been a team that has generated a whole bunch of seals. They're getting right around 8.7 per contest, but I think that that's more of a product of a small sample size. Now, when you do take a look at Towson, what you've been able to get is Cameron Olden being able to give you right around 14 points and 10 rebounds per game. This is someone that, while it was at UT Martin last year, was able to do a very solid job. Not necessarily a three-point shooter, but is able to give you a little bit of this and that. He averaged 15 points and nine boards for a team that, quite frankly, wasn't necessarily good last season. The team also wanted bringing in Terry Nolan. 
Someone who's been having fewer than a turnover per game. He's been able to do a good job of dishing out the ball, career double-digit score. So I think that that's going to be relatively solid. But when you take a look at Pittsburgh, I think what is going to be key for them, getting someone like a Daniel Oladapo some minutes. He wanted coming in from Oakland. First couple games of the season, did not wind up seeing a lot of playing time. I expect him to see a little bit of an increase in his minutes. And they are also getting back Jamarius Burton. Burton, while he was over there at Wichita State during the 2019-20 season, a little bit over 10 points per game, shot 38% from three, was glued to the bench at Texas Tech last season because you wound up seeing the late transfer of Mac McClung. He, in his first game against UNC Wilmington, looked a little bit rusty, but here in game number two, I think that he's going to be a little bit more effective and is going to be an X-factor for Pittsburgh. So, set Pittsburgh as a six-half-point favorite. Pittsburgh, due to all the injuries, they have really slowed down their tempo, so I set this all at 131 as well, so landing here with Pitt and taking the under. 8.26 on the banging board. Florida Atlantic is going to be playing against UT Martin. UT Martin. Anywhere between 17 and 17 and a half point underdogs in your total on this game. It is 147 and a half. I want to make in this line 17 and a half for Florida Atlantic and I am mostly seeing 17 so I'm going to hope that this might wind up going down to maybe like a 16, 16 and a half but here at 17 I still feel comfortable with taking a shot here on Florida Atlantic. We saw Florida Atlantic hang in there on their home floor against Miami. This is a part of the Paradise Classic which is out there in Boca Raton, Florida so even though it's a part of a multi-team event it's pretty much Florida Atlantic being the home team here. Michael Forrest has been able to do a solid job for this Florida Atlantic team last season. He was able to chip in there 12.5 points per game shot, nearly 40% for three-point range. He's picking up right where he left off last season with 18 points per game. Now, with UT Martin, they actually do have some solid pieces. KK Curry has been able to give you 18 points per game, but they did not return a single player from last year. With UT Martin, they wound up having their coach die days before the start of the season, and their star player, Parker Seward, that was the coach's son as well. He opted out of the season. Just a very unfortunate situation. So UT Martin is in all sorts of rebuild mode. They wound up hiring on the coach that was over there at Bethune-Cookman before he brought with him K.J. Simon. He's been able to do a relatively solid job. He's been able to give the team right around 5 points, 3.5 rebounds per game. So he's been able to give the team a little bit of this and that. He had that last season and now this year. 17 points. So he's been able to build off of that. And you just take a look at this bunch in general. I think a little bit of an X-factor for them is going to be Michael Henderson. Henderson winds up coming in from a lower level. He's been able to give the team 7.5 points per game. I think that he's probably going to do a little bit more ball handling moving forward as it's really been nothing other than Kobe Jeffries to be able to dish out the ball. You've got a lot of moving and new parts for this UT Martin team, including a guy like Josh Endicott who comes up from North Florida has yet to find success. And I just feel like UT Martin in general, they're going to be slow on their rotations. This is pretty much a home team in Florida Atlantic that they're having to go up against as well. So I wound up saying Florida Atlantic is a 17.5 point favorite. So won't delay a 17 here. And with the total, set it at a 147.5. So looking at it over as well. 827, 820 on the bang board. The Pride of Hofstra are going to be playing against Maryland. Maryland, anywhere between 11.5 and 12.0 favorites in your tolerance game is a 141.5. The line was very similar on the open when Maryland wound up going up against George Mason and we remember how that wound up turning out. Hofstra is the second best cover team in all of college basketball. Since the beginning of the 2018-19 season, Speedy Claxton has done a good job of being able to take over this program. They don't necessarily have a ton down low because Isaac Conte wound up transferring late in the process, but Zach Cooks is a cook, and he's been able to give the Southster team 22 points per game. Caleb Burgess has been precise with the ball as well. He's been giving out right around 16 assists to two turnovers now. He's also scored a grand total of two points in the first three games of the season, but he has been able to do a good job as... 
the textbook definition of a pass first guy and Adiami Iola has been able to give you nine boards per game. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be able to match up with Kudis Wahab who's been able to do a very good job here with Maryland. 12.5 points, 8.5 rebounds. He's given out a block and a half per game so he's been able to do a relatively rock solid job but when it comes to this Maryland bunch they are a little bit of a hitter mystery point shooting team. Shooting 68% at the free throw line, 26% from three. Fats Russell has never been a great three point shooter. Very solid defender. Guy that's able to dish out the ball with right around 3.3 assists per game and then Eric Ayala has been able to chip in their 16 points per game, but I wonder if it was a little bit smoke and mirrors for Dante Scott to be able to shoot 44% from distance last year. Was able to chip in there right in the pocket of about 11 points per game this year. He's been able to give the team 8 points per game, but he's seen a dip in his 3-point shooting percentage. I think that Hofstra is certainly going to be able to hang in there with Hofstra. They play a little bit more up-tempo. Maryland always a bottom 100 team when it comes to possessions per game, but because I think that this is going to be a 7-point game, I line Maryland as a 7-point favorite. I think that you get with that some late game felling, but just not enough to be able to push it over because Hofstra, under Speedy Claxon, they've been slowing things down just a tad as well. So, I set this one at 137. I'm going to be diving under and I'm going to be taking the points here with the pride of Hofstra. 829, 830 on the betting board. Sienna's going to be hitting the red face up against Georgetown. Hoyas are anywhere between 15.5 and, and 16 point favorites. Your total is anywhere between 136, seeing his eyes on 137.5. I don't think that Georgetown is as bad as they wound up showing earlier in the year when they wound up losing to Dartmouth, but at the same time, this is certainly a bunch that I don't want to necessarily be hitching my wagon to too much either. I wound up saying Georgetown as a 12 point favorite when it comes to Sienna. I do like the fact that they wound up bringing in Kobe Rogers. He, while he was at Cal Poly last year, wound up having a little bit over 12 points per game so far this year, 15.7 points per contest in a small sample size. Jackson Sormo wanted coming in from the West Coast last season, and he's been able to give the team eight boards per game. Now you've got Aminu Muhammad, who for Georgetown has been able to give you right around eight boards per game, and Ryan Matumbo was a very highly touted freshman, but he's only getting 10 minutes per game. You can tell that he's trying to adjust to life at the college basketball level with Georgetown. This is a team that they don't necessarily have too much explosive scoring. You do have Donald Carey, a guy that has been able to shoot right around 55% from three, but I believe that he wound up suffering a little bit of an ailment against American as well. So that is something that you certainly do want to be taking note of because when it comes to the Georgetown, you've got Donald Carey being able to shoot threes. Then you don't necessarily have a whole heck of a lot else. You've got a couple other guys that are able to facilitate. You've been able to get right around four and a half assists per game out of carry, but beyond that, you have been able to get ten and a half points. You've also had a couple of assists out of Dante Harris as well, but when it comes to Sienna, I do think that they're going to be able to hold in this game, and I think that Georgetown is looking to play a little bit more of a defensive style. Sienna is a team that they never wind up playing really up-tempo either, so set this total at 135.5, diving under, and I'm going to be taking the points here with Sienna. 831-832 on the bank board. Idaho State is going to be in the road face off against Nebraska. The Cornhuskers find themselves anywhere between 11.5 and 12 point favorites, and your total on this game, you're going to be having that clock in anywhere between one. 37 at 137 and a half. When it comes to Nebraska, I was willing to lay up to 12 and a half in this spot. With Idaho State, they did wind up returning a lot of pieces from last year, but you've got to be wondering how much of last season was just a product of everything that we wound up seeing with COVID, things like that, because Idaho State year in and year out, they just haven't necessarily been a great program. Now you've got Robert Ford III, who at 6 feet tall, has been able to give the team right around 6 half rebounds per game in his two seasons on campus. He's been able to chip in their 10 and a half points, shooting 35% for 3 this season, and Tyree Cool, he has as cool as the other side of the pillow. 12 points, 4 boards, 3 assists per game, but what are you going to be able to get outside these guys because you don't necessarily have a lot of size. And then you got Derek Walker who has been able to give this Nebraska team right around 7 rebounds per game. Both of the McGowan's 
Bryce McGowan's, along Trey McGowan's, have really been able to start for this team. Really, Bryce, because as a freshman, he's been able to give the team 20 points. And what I think is key for Nebraska is the fact that now you've got Kobe Webster back in the fold. He wound up missing the first two games of the season, came in off the bench against Green, had 20 points in 23 minutes. This is someone that, while he was at Western Illinois a few seasons ago during the 2018-19 season, had 17 points, four and a half boards, three assists, and shot over 41% from three-point range. He is a walking bucket kiddo, Alonzo Verge is able to give you right around 16 points per game. I don't think that Idaho State is going to be able to match up with that. And when it comes to Idaho State, got a bunch that's right now shooting 26% from three, under 65% at the free throw line. They're turning the ball over nearly 15 times per game, so certainly has been sloppy. Got a Nebraska team that they are very much looking to run. Idaho State is looking to play a little bit slower, but they're a little bit more of a go-with-the-flow team, so I think that Nebraska is going to be able to get their tempo. Set this out at 146, looking to go over. And I'm going to be willing to lay the number here with Nebraska. Set them as high as a 12 and a half point favorite. 833-834 on the betting board. IPFW, AK Fort Wayne is going to be in the road face-off against Minnesota. The Gophers are finding themselves as a 12-point favorite, and your total on this game is anywhere between 140.5 and, and 141.5. And I was only willing to lay up to 11 here with Minnesota, so seeing these 12s populate, I'm going to be taking a look at Fort Wayne. With Fort Wayne, they were in the top 25 of all of college basketball when it came to three-point shooting percentage last season. I think that that's going to help them hold in this game. When it comes to Minnesota, I do like the fact that they've been able to play some solid defense. We saw that on display in their multi-team event last week against the likes of South Carolina and company, but you do take a look at this Minnesota team, and you got a bunch of it's currently shooting 64% at the free throw line. They were unable to hit the free throws in that just calamity of a game against Princeton, but you do take a look at Willis. What is up, Peyton Willis? He's been able to give this team 20 points, right around 3 assists. He's shooting 47% from 3-point range. EJ Stevens winds up coming in as a sharpshooter from Lafayette. He last season shot 90% the free throw line and right around 33% from 3. Now shooting 45% from 3 and 64% at the free throw line, so that makes all the sense in the world, but when you take a look at Fort Wayne, you got Jalen Pipkins. Last season, he was able to be very solid for this bunch, making 44% of his series with 14 points per game. He's averaging 14.5 points, 5 boards, and is currently shooting 85% from 3-point range. Now, that is going to come down a little bit. R.A. Kapadia, I think, is going to have a little bit of a tough time down low with Eric Curry, but it's not like Minnesota necessarily has ideal size. Jared Goffrey has been able to give this Fort Wayne team right around 5.5 assists per game. He wound up shooting 36% from 3 with 16 points per game. A little bit of a do-it-all player, a little bit of a combo 6'4"-ish guy, so I do like what he's able to bring. And then you got Damian Chung-Q, who wound up leading Mount St. Mary's to the NCAA tournament last year. He's shooting 40% from 3 with 10 points per game. I think that the shooting of Fort Wayne is is going to be able to keep them in this game. So at 12, going to be taking a look at the points. And we've noticed with Minnesota, this is a team that they're really looking to embrace defense. You've got a Fort Wayne bunch that it seems like they're probably going to be going a little bit more slow as well. We saw that in their game against Austin P. The three-point shooting wasn't there with them as much, but their defense has certainly been able to be a bit more effective with Bobby Plantis being able to do a solid job down low. So also set the total at 133, so diving under as well. 835, 836 on the betting board. You've got Auburn, and they are going to be Hitting the road to face off against South Florida. South Florida has found themselves as anywhere between a 13.5 and, and a 14 point underdog, and your total on this game is between 135 and 135 and a half, and when it comes to this line, I think that it's just a little bit too aggressive here on Auburn, as I want to make them a six and a half point road favorite. I think that we forget just how hard it is to be able to win on the road in college basketball, and when it comes to this Auburn team, they are a little bit banged up right now. You've had Wendell Green Jr. do a very solid job in the backcourt with right around 17 points per game, but you take a look at the big loss for the team, and it is a fact that you've still got Alan Flanagan out of the full with right around 14 points per game last season. Now, 
You take a look at Auburn, they're doing a pretty solid job on the glass. You've been able to get 15 points, 8 boards out of star freshman Jabari Smith. He has very much looked like the real deal, being able to give you also 3.5 steals and 1.5 blocks per game. So, guy has really been able to do a good job of stuffing the stat sheet. Meanwhile, you take a look at South Florida. Not a team that's necessarily going to be able to light it up on offense. You've got a little bit of a tortoise and a hare situation between Auburn and South Florida. And I did wind up setting this total at a 136.5. I do see a little bit of an edge to the over because I do think that we are going to be able to get some late game following. And what I think is going to be key for South Florida staying in this game, Russell Chua. A little bit north of a 7-footer. Came over from Texas Tech. Has been able to give the team 7 points, 7 rebounds. So that has been relatively solid for the team. They're going to need Caleb Murphy to step up in the backcourt. Never necessarily been a great 3-point shooter, but has been able to give the team right around 10 points per game this season. Does a good job of being able to drive into the rim. And then Jameer Chaplin. He is someone that has been able to give the team right around 8 points, 4 boards. So you got some depth when it comes to this South Florida team. What I think is also going to be big, Javon Green, who has been able to give you right around 7-ish points per game comes in from George Mason. I think that his experience is going to be key, but Auburn still playing a little bit short-handed. Still a team that's trying to find themselves when it comes to facilitation between Zepp Jasper along Thundle Green Jr. So, I did wind up saying South Florida as a 6.5 point underdog, so going to be taking the points, and I'm going to be taking this total over. We move on to 837, 838 on the betting board. The Kentucky Wildcats and Ohio Bobcats are going to be doing battle in I believe it's the Kentucky Classic, so this is one that is going to be played on the home floor of Big Blue Nation as you are finding Kentucky as a 12-point favorite. Your total on this game in between 146 and 147, seeing straight 147.5 out there as well. And I think Ohio is going to be able to hang within this number. I want to send Kentucky as an 11.5-point favorite. So here at 12, going to be taking a look at the points with Ohio. What I like for Ohio is that Mark Sears has come in, and he has been able to do a terrific job of being able to run the point for this team. We were talking about how Jason Preston leaving this team was probably going to put them behind the eight ball. And he hasn't given out quite the 7 plus assists that Preston did last season, but how about 19 points, 1.7 steals. He's actually been a little bit of a better jump shooter as well, so that's been big. You've got Jason Carter down low giving you 8 rebounds per game. Um, what I really think is going to keep Ohio in this game, Ben Vanderplas. He is someone that is six foot eight. It will give you 15 points, 8 boards, 3 assists, and shoots 40% from 3 point range. And then with Kentucky, Oscar Sheboy is literally averaging 18.7 rebounds per game. He is going to be able to dominate this game down low. You also have Xavier Wheel who has been able to give out 10 assists. His big bugaboo is turnovers. Last year at Georgia, you wound up having a little bit north of four turnovers per game. This is an Ohio team that you've got a lot of guys that they are able to do some pickpocketing, so I think that that helps. Keon Brooks is someone that's able to give you right around 11 points per game as well. Kellen Grady has been a very good three-point shooter. In all four of his years at Davidson, had 17-plus points per game, was always a mid-to-high 30s three-point shooter as well. So I do think that this is a game that is going to be kicked up tempo a little bit more. We saw it for Ohio opening night when they wanted being able to take down Belmont. They were able to score 92 points in that game. They racked up the points against Robert Morris, and you're seeing Kentucky really being able to pump up their offense a little bit as well. So they wind up setting the total at a 147.5. I'm going to be taking a look at the over. And with Kentucky, was only willing to make them 11 and a half, so here at 12, going to be taking the points with the Bobcats as well. 839, 840 on the betting board. you got George Mason, and they are going to be hitting the road face-off against James Madison. James Madison find themselves as one and a half to two-point home underdogs, and your total on this game is between 144 and 144.5. This is a spot in which I want to make George Mason a two and a half point road favorite. I didn't want to overreact too much to the fact that they want him knocking off Maryland, but I certainly am coming around on George Mason. I do think that this is a team that they are going to be able to 
really make some noise this season. You take a look at this James Madison bunch and Deshaun Schwartz, who on coming in from Colorado, has been magnificent for this team. Averaging 17.5 points, shooting over 50% from three, six half boards per game, and he shot 40% from three at Colorado last year, so he's a good shooter. Now, it's going to be a battle of Alonzo Sewell against Devontae Gaines. Both of these guys are giving their respective teams right around eight boards per game, but when it comes to Gaines, he has been able to give you right around 11 points per contest. He's been able to bury a couple threes at six foot seven as well. Xavier Johnson does wind up turning the ball over a little bit, but he's got five assists, and then Beto Morris on the other side for James Madison has been able to do a relatively solid job. His three-point shooting is down from past years, but still giving out four assists. He's able to give you a little bit over a seal per game, so I think that that's going to be very good for this team. And then when you take a look at Jalen Oge, he's been able to put in 13 points per game, but when you take a look at the context of 13 points per game, a little bit less impressive when you put it into context because he wound up having 21 points in a game against a non-D1 foe in his two games against Old Dominion and Eastern Kentucky, a combined 18 points per game. So that is something that I do take a look at in this spot as well. When it comes to James Madison, they've been turning the ball over a little bit. Right around 15 turnovers per game, George Mason has been doing a little bit of a better job of being able to generate a couple steals as well. This is a team that's generating right around eight per contest and five and a half blocks per game as well. So they've been pretty impressive down low. I do think that George Mason should be able to get it done. I think that it's to be a close game. I think that you're going to get some late game fouling. George Mason has pumped up the tempo a little bit, so I did wind up setting the total at a 150 and a half. I'm going to be taking a look at the over and willing to lay up to a two and a half here with George Mason. So at two, still willing to take them, willing to take the short road favorite. We move on to 841, 842 on the betting board. Arkansas State is going to be in the road faceoff against Southeast Missouri State. Southeast Missouri State is finding themselves a one point underdog, and you're finding them as a pick in a couple spots as well. Total is anywhere between one. 150 and seeing his eyes at 151 and a half when it comes to Arkansas State. This bunch has Norshad Amir, someone who was able to average a double-double last season. And then when you take a look at the flip side, and now Southeast Missouri State is going to be trying to combat that. They do have quite a few guys that are able to give them a couple rebounds, but this is also a team in which they seem to be a little bit more hit or miss when it comes to their three-point shooting. You do have Nigel Russell, who's been able to do a little bit of this and that. He's chipping in their 12.5 points, 8.5 rebounds. He, last year, though, shot 17.5% from three-point range after being more like a career 33, 34% three-point shooter. You do have Chris Harris. He's been able to give this team 14 points per game. Big thing is, he is giving away three and a half turnovers per game as well. Caleb Fields on the other end for Arkansas State assist to turnover ratio too. Always been a career about 33% three-point shooter and the backcourt gets bolstered because not only do you have Desi Sills who's able to do all that he's able to do right around 14 points per contest. He has been able to do a great job there, but you've also got Marcus Eaton. Eaton has been just consuming defenses with right around 10 points, 3.7 assists. You've just got four really good guards when it comes to this Arkansas team, and then you've got Omir down low. Death is a little bit of an issue, but at the same time, I do think that this is an Arkansas state that should be able to go on the road and get the job done. I want to be sending them as a two-point road favorite, so hopefully we can get some pick and prices, maybe a very small money line underdog, but we'll lay up to a deuce here with Arkansas State. I do think that this total is set a little bit too high with Southeast Missouri State. They did get bludgeoned in that game against Young sound safe, but they're not naturally a team that's looking to go up-tempo under Brad Korn, a former Kansas State assistant, so set the total at a 142.5, so diving under as well. 843, 844 on the betting board. Niagara is going to be going on the road to face off against SIU Edwardsville. Edwardsville is an 8.5 point home underdog, and your total on this game is anywhere between 136 and 136.5. 
I feel like Niagara do deserve some respect. They were able to play very well against both Ohio State and Xavier on the road, but an eight and a half point road favorite. I recognize that SIU Edwardsville wound up losing to Chicago State on the road, but they also played halfway decent against Marquette as well. I feel like this is a little bit too aggressive. I wound up setting Niagara as a four and a half point favorite personally. The big thing for Niagara is they just don't have a lot of size. You've got Mark Salmon that does a little bit of everything for this team. He has seen a dip in his three-point shooting in all three seasons. Began shooting 52% from three and then 42% and then last year 29% because he just has to do more and more for this team every single year. Currently averaging about 23.5 points, six boards per game, so he's been rock solid there, but he and Jordan Sintram with their six boards per game lead the way. Meanwhile, Sean Doss Jr. winds up coming in from the swag and he's looked relatively solid here for SIU Edwardsville, giving the team 13 points, 8 boards per game last season, had 16 points, 5.5 rebounds, so he's able to do a good job of being able to fill it up. Now, this is an SIU Edwardsville team that they aren't going to necessarily light it up from 3-point range. They're shooting 19% as a collective from distance, but I think that they're going to be able to control things down low. And then you've got the Wright brothers. You've got Lamar Wright, who's giving you right around 7.5 points per game, and you're getting 9 out of Shamar Wright as well. I think that these guys are going to be able to come through, and I also think that you're going to have Courtney Carter be able to step up after he's had a little bit of a rough start to the year after he wound up having more like seven points, three and a half assists per game. So I do think that you're going to have an SIU Edwardsville team that is going to be able to hold in this game. I think that Niagara ultimately is going to be able to win this game, but I think that this is just a little bit too aggressive here at eight and a half. So I'm going to wind up taking the points. And when it comes to this total, set it at a 142.5. SIU Edwardsville, not necessarily a defense-oriented team, but a team that likes to crank up the tempo, and I think we get late game following. So looking at the over and looking at taking the points with the home dog. 845, 846 on the banging board. Oakland is going to be hitting the road faceoff against Alabama. The Crimson Tide are finding themselves as 15 to 15 and a half point favorites, and your total is 149. I want to make in the Crimson Tide a 22 point favorite. I do think that this is an Alabama team that has won the best in all of college basketball. Got so many guys that you're able to look to for three point shooting, and Oakland has looked improved on defense in the first couple games of the season. I think a little bit more of this is the competition that they wound up playing. They wound up getting Oklahoma State while they were just very short-handed. Toledo's a team in transition. West Virginia is a team that's looking to hang their head on defense as well. And then you take a look at Alabama, and they railed down by South Alabama. But I just attribute that to a little bit of a cold three-point shooting night. You've got Jaden Shackelford giving you 19 points per game. You've had Keon Ellis really be able to take off for this team. 17 points, 9 boards, 2.5 assists, 2.5 steals. Javon Quinterly was very good for this team last season. He's giving you 14 points per game. And then you bring in Noah Gurley, someone who has some versatility right around 6 foot 8 ish, was able to shoot threes very well while he was at Furman. Now, Jamal Kane is able to give Oakland quite a bit of something. He's been able to chip in their 19 points, 12 boards per game, but. I do wonder who is going to be able to step up around him because last season, Oakland had Jalen Moore leading all of college basketball in assists per game with a little bit over eight. He's been able to give out seven, but you also just don't have the three-point shooting that you had last year like you had with Rashad Williams as well. So that is going to be a little bit of a tough one for this team. You do have someone that's able to give you right around nine and a half points per game and Blake Lampman. He has been shooting from three-point range 47%, but last year shot 23%. So I wonder how much of that is smoking mirrors as well. I take a look at Alabama and Though they are a team that they really play up-tempo, they are also one of the better teams with regards to defensive efficiency, but I think that they wind up lighting up Oakland in this game. Set them as a 22-point favorite, so willing to lay the points. Set the total on 152 as well, so we're going to be taking the over. 847, 848 on the bang board. 
Memphis is going to be playing us Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky is finding themselves anywhere between 14.5 and 15.5 point underdogs. And your total on this game is anywhere between 145.5 and 146.5. When it comes to Western Kentucky, I've begun to really sour on this team. I want them setting Western Kentucky as a 16 point underdog personally. So, especially if I'm able to get a 14, 14 and a half fish, going to be taking a look at Memphis, but certainly still do like the 15. You just take a look at this Memphis team and Jalen Duran, along with Imani Bates, who wanted to reclassifying. Have both looked superb. Bates has been a little bit more of a scorer. Duran has been able to give you right around 8-9 to nine rebounds per game. And then you've been able to have a whole lot of something from Lander Zong in the backcourt. You don't necessarily have one main facilitator for this Memphis team. Nobody's averaging more than 3 assists per game, but everyone is a willing passer. He's been able to chip in there 10 points per game last season. He was right around a 39% 3-point shooter. And then you've got DeAndre Williams, who just does everything. Last two years in college basketball shot right around 45% from 3. As a six foot nine combo player that's able to give you some rebounds. And this is with Earl Timberlake giving you right around three points per game. Just imagine when he winds up getting it going. You've seen some very good three-point shooting performances out of Tyler Harris, who's currently shooting 70% from three. Obviously, a little bit unsustainable, but when it comes to Western Kentucky, you've really had the Davion McKnight show and nobody else stepping up around him. He's been able to give the team 21 points. He's shipping in their five assists, six and a half rebounds per game. Now, the good news is they do wind up getting Cameron Justice for another year. He wound up beginning his college basketball career during the 2015-16 season. I mean, this guy is absolutely ancient, but I mean, he wound up having a big year a few years ago where he wound up having 18 and a half points per game while he was at IUPUI, but... What is currently really hurting this team is the fact that they don't necessarily have all their pieces out there on the floor as well. Jarius Hamilton has come in and he's looked very solid for this team. He's been able to give a little bit of three-point shooting. Comes in from Maryland and he's been able to chip in there right in the neighborhood of about 15 points per game. But you just take a look at this bunch in general and I do think that it's going to be a little bit tough moving forward, especially with Jamarian Sharp, who's 7'5", is just a mountain of a man. But you can tell that he's not necessarily skilled with his footwork, is a little bit careless as well. So I do think that Memphis is going to be able to take over that. And when it comes to Memphis, one of the faster teams with regards to tempo and all of college basketball, they seem to be more efficient on offense. Have been turning the ball over quite a bit, but Western Kentucky has been a bunch of which they wound up getting quite a few turnovers against South Carolina, but that's just because South Carolina is very sloppy in general. I think that Memphis is not going to fall into that trap. Set Memphis as a 16-point favorite, so willing to lay the points. Set the sold on 150, so going to be looking at an over as well. 849, 850 on the betting board. Florida International is going to be playing against UW. Green Bay in the Jersey Mike's Classic as this is a game that's off the board because both of these teams wound up playing yesterday, but when it comes to Florida International, made them a five and a half point favorite. I wound up saying this total at a 135 and a half. It seems as though Will Ryan, the son of Bo Ryan, is taking over his dad's approach and is going very, very stinking slow when it comes to this UW Green Bay squad, which you'll love to see, but when it comes to UW Green Bay, you really don't have a lot of guys that are able to put the ball in the basket. Emmanuel Asung has been able to give you right around 10-ish points per game. He's able to give you right around four or five boards per game, and then you've actually had a little bit of something as well. Out of Donovan Ivory, the transfer from Boise State has been able to chip in there right around 12 points per game. He's been able to give you a little bit of three-point shooting, but UW-Green Bay along the outside. They just aren't there at this point. Amari Davis leaving the program was certainly a bit devastating for them. And then take a look at this Florida International team. They're in a little bit of transition. They wound up losing Antonio Day Jr. to the transfer portal. But Tevin Brewer is someone I do like. Going into yesterday, he was registering right in the neighborhood of 14 points per game. Last year shot 38.5% from three. This year has been shooting well as well. Now, Florida International's 
main weak point is the fact that they don't have much rebounding, but UW-Green Bay has absolutely no size either, so that actually plays to their advantage in this one. They aren't going to be suffering too much due to it. And I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of something out of Cloven Brown, who wanted coming in from Vanderbilt. He's been able to give the team 7.5 points, 4 boards. Keep in mind, while he was with Vanderbilt during the 2019-20 season, had his season cut short due to injury, but he was really finding his peak form. 9 points, 6 boards, shot 38.5% from 3-point range out there in the SEC as a 6-foot-8 combo player. I think that a guy like that is going to give UW-Green Bay fits. So, one upsetting Florida National as a 5.5 point favorite. And I also made this total 135.5. We move on to 851-852 on the betting board. Santa Clara is going to be playing against Cal Poly. Cal Poly is finding themselves as 16.5 point underdogs in your tallest game. is anywhere between 137.5 and 138. When it comes to Cal Poly, I don't think that this is a team that's going to be towards the top of the Big West, but I've liked what I've seen out of them thus far. They wound up playing a very close game early on this season against North Dakota. This is a squad in which I feel like their fortunes turned a little bit when they wound up getting Jacob Davison into the program. Someone that a few years ago at Eastern Washington was able to generate right around 18 points per game thus far this season. 14 points. It's been shooting right around 33% from three. Cal Poly is a collective. Only shooting right around 23% from distance. I think that that's going to improve, but they've also cut down on the turnovers and you've also got someone that's giving you right around 15 points, 5 boards per game in Alamami Kodama, who has been able to do a very good job for this bunch. He, at six foot eight last season, wound up shooting 38% from three-point range, and then Santa Clara has themselves a trio of very good wins. Being able to take down Cal State Fullerton, they wind up just beating the brakes off of Stanford and Nevada as well. I think that they're going to slow down a little bit from those performances. I feel like this might be a tad bit of a flat spot for this team, but I do like what I'm seeing out of P.J. Pipes. He's been able to pump in their 15 points per game. He's shooting 40% from three, and Santa Clara as a collective is shooting 41% from three. I do think that this is going to cool down a little bit, but you do have a lot of versatility when it comes to the team. Joseph Ferenkic along with Keyshawn Justice. These guys are combining for a little bit under 15 rebounds per game. Both of these guys giving you between 15.3 and 16.3 points per game. Both of these guys shooting 40 plus percent from three-point range. And then you've got Jalen Williams come in and do a really nice job with this team. Last season, he was able to give the team 11.5 points per game. He's taking some strides forward. This year, he's been able to really take some strides for it. 17 and a half points, 4.7 assists per game, and has really been able to take over that main ball handling role, which I felt like was a big bugaboo for Santa Clara. I do think that Santa Clara should be able to get the job done convincingly, but I feel like 16 and a half, a tad too many. I wound up setting this line at 14, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points here with Cal Poly. And with Cal Poly, this is one of the slower teams in all of college basketball, Santa Clara, though they wound up putting up big numbers in their last few games. Not necessarily a team that's going to get out there and run either. I've noticed that the last few years in Herb Sendex, so Set the total at 136.5, going to be diving under, and I'm going to be taking the points here with the Cal Poly. 853-854, battle for the state of Georgia as the Bulldogs of Georgia play us at Georgia Tech. The Ramblin' Arc of Georgia Tech are 5.5-point road favorites, and your Talon's game is anywhere between 138.5 and 139. For those of you guys that have listened to the podcast, you know how little I think of Tom Green as a coach. With that said, this line just seems absolutely ridiculous. I wound up setting Georgia as a 3-point favorite, personally. Georgia Tech wound up losing quite a bit in the offseason, and I'm not sure how they're necessarily going to be able to recover from it. You wind up moves, losing Moses Wright, who was absolutely terrific for this team. You wind up having Jose Alvarado leave the program as well. It's really about Michael DeVoe and Jordan Usher who have to do a little bit of everything. 31.7 points per game between the two of them. They've really been able to do a good job when it comes to rebounding. The only other guy that's really giving you boards is Mr. Howard, who's been able to chip in there right around 8 boards per game for Rodney Howard. So, Got a little bit of this and that, but 
when it comes to Georgia Tech, you've got no depth with the team whatsoever. And for Georgia, it's not like they've got great frontline talent, but Aaron Cook has been able to give a right around eight assists per game prior to getting injured while he was at Southern Illinois. Was a relatively solid player, a guy that was able to give you double figures, a guy that was able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range, spent last season just glued to the bench while he was with the Gonzaga Bulldogs. But you take a look at Georgia as well, and I do think that you're going to be able to get quite a bit of something out of Jalen Ingram. Six-foot-seven combo player, comes over from Florida International, has yet to find it from three-point range, but last season shot right around 45% from distance. So Bauman, while he was at San Jose State, was north of a 40% three-point shooter as well. Georgia Tech is a bunch that really likes to make things more slow, grimy. I expect a little bit more of that, but I also expect late game fouling, and Georgia is a team that they look to crank up the tempo. So I do think that it's really interesting to take a look at this game as I wound up setting the total at a 141.5 as a result, and I do think that you're going to get quite a bit of rebounding out of six foot eleven Braylon Bridges, who's able to do a wide variety of things for this team. I think that he's going to be able to do a good job of being able to get into passing lanes as well. He's been averaging a seal per game, and I take a look at Georgia. I think that they're going to be able to win this game because I do like what Cook has been able to do with regards to cutting down on the turnovers recently. So this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking Georgia on the money line and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over. We move on to 855, 856 on the betting board. You've got Cal State Fullerton and they're going to be playing us to San Diego. San Diego has found themselves as a six-point home favorite in your total on this game is anywhere between 146.5 and 147. When it comes to San Diego, Southern is a nine-point favorite. With Cal State Fullerton, I did like a lot of the pieces that they wanted bringing in in the offseason. And the big one that they wound up getting is EJ Onasiki, who, while he was at Sacred Art two seasons ago, was averaging right around 15 points, 11 boards per game. He is going to be able to take to test Terrell Brown, in my opinion, but when it comes to San Diego, Jace Townsend has been able to do a tremendous job in the backcourt. He winds coming in from Denver, where he had 19 points per game, and this season, 14 points, 3 assists, has been not great, but still solid when it comes to 3-point shooting percentage, 78%. Last year, he was more like 34%. I don't think that that's necessarily going to be able to maintain itself, but you've got Joey Calcaterra, who after a rough first game of the season has been able to pick it up himself. You've been able to get a little bit of this and that from Bryce Monroe as well. Monroe is someone that was at Sam Houston State last season, was able to chip in their 10 points as a little bit of a sixth man over there. He's been playing a similar role here with San Diego. And when it comes to San Diego, they're right now shooting 48% from three-point range. I don't know if that's going to be sustainable, but you take a look at Fullerton. You've got the Maddoxes as Trey Maddox along Dante Maddox are combining for right around 22 and a half points per game. Both of these guys were very solid three-point shooters last season this year. That's taking a dip, but the good news is they are shooting 82% the free throw line. This is a bunch, though, that outside of Onosiki, you really don't have a ton when it comes to rebounding. Vincent Lee is able to do a little bit of this and that. He's been pumping in their seven and a half rebounds, 12 points per game, but I take a look at San Diego. Been very impressed by this team. They seem to have some very good depth as well. They've been doing a good job of being able to crank up the tempo as well. I wound up saying the total personally at a 147. So we're seeing a smattering of 146 and a half and 147. If you're left with a 147, I'd probably be taking a look at the over before anything else just because I do think that this is going to be a situation in which you're going to have some late game fouling, but certainly going to be taking a look at a 146 and a half, perhaps even a little bit lower if we wind up getting lucky on this spot. And with San Diego made them a nine-point favorite, so laying the points there. 857, 858 on the betting board. Pacific is going to be playing us at UTEP. 
The Miners are a two and a half point underdog and your total on this game is anywhere between 134 and 134 and a half. Intriguing bunch here with Pacific because you did wind up having coach Damon Sotomayor wind up leaving the program very late to be taking an assistance job actually with the Boston Celtics and then you got a UTEP team that they wound up losing their coach as well in Rodney Terry. So you've got a pair of new regimes, Joe Golding, wound up playing that amoeba-style defense while he was over there with Abilene Christian last season, so going to be interesting to see what he winds up doing this season with a UTEP team that they haven't played a lot of D1 competition to this point. They wound up having that loss against New Mexico State, and that's about it, but you take a look at UTEP, you've got Jamal Pianimi, who's been able to give you 17 points per game down low. Keontae Kennedy is going to have to hold down the fort right around 6 for 5, 10 points, 7 rebounds per game. That is a big fear when it comes to this UTEP team and that they don't necessarily have ideal size. You do have Alfonso Anderson on the other end for Pacific giving you right around 11 points, 8.5 boards per game. So, but interesting to be able to watch him work. And then you got Pierre Cockrell, the second, who's been giving out right around 4 assists per game. But the big thing is he's also giving out 3 turnovers per game. I think that UTEP is going to be able to do a better job of being a force seals. You see it right now, a little bit over 11 seals per game forced by them thus far this season. And what I think is going to be able to keep them in this game is the fact that you've been able to get Jarrell Satterfield to be able to give you quite a bit of something. He's been chipping in there right around seven and a half points per game. Has been doing a good job on the defensive end as well. So I do think that there's some good qualities with this UTEP team, especially with Sully Boehm giving you 15 and a half points per game. I wound up setting this line to Pacific laying two points. So here at two and a half, I'm going to avoid the money line, but I'm going to take the two and a half here with UTEP. I think that there's a good chance that this game winds up coming down to the final possession. I think that UTEP is going to make this game very slow. Pacific at their core is a team that they don't like to crank up the tempo either. So I wound up setting this total at a 132 and a half. I'm going to be diving under. And when it comes to the spot, going to be taking a look at the points here with UTEP. 859, 860 on the betting board. You've got yourself Boise State playing against Temple in the Charleston Classic because you wound up seeing both of these teams play yesterday. There is no overnight line, but when it comes to my line, I wound up setting Boise State as a five-point favorite. I wound up setting the total at a 131. I think that we're going to see a little bit of a better effort from Temple after they wound up allowing... Their counterparts yesterday in Clemson did make 10 out of their first 15 threes, and it was very apparent that Temple at the end of the game wound up quitting. I think that they're going to be coming out with a little bit of renewed energy, to say the least. And then you take a look at this Boise State punch, and they just forgot how to put the ball in the basket the last few minutes of the game yesterday. You've got Donavera Dutrieff, who's been able to give you a double-digit amount of points per game. He's been relatively rock solid. Abu Kihab is someone that's able to give you 10 points, 5 rebounds, do a little bit of this and that. Malade and Armis, I think, is going to be able control things down low as well. And then you take a look at Temple and you do have Nick Jordiano who's been able to give you a couple of rebounds. And when it comes to this backcourt, I really do like what you're able to get out of Khalif Battle. He's been averaging over 20 points per game. Going into yesterday, he was shooting 50% from three-point range. Obviously, that wound up taking a dip as he wound up scoring four points in the game yesterday. But Ty Strickland, who winds up coming over from Wisconsin, I think that there's some redeeming qualities with him. He's been averaging double figures. He's made with a couple threes, so he's able to give you a little bit of this and that. And then what I think is also going to be key for this team, which you're able to get out of Jake Forrester, someone who in the past has been one of the better rebounders for this team. He's only generating right around four boards per game for this bunch. So I do think the Boise State has a little bit of a leg up in this spot. Set them as a five-point favorite. I do think that you wind up getting some late fouling as well, which is why I wound up setting this total at a 131. 861, 862 on the banging board. You've got yourself St. Bonaventure, and they're going to be playing against Clemson. 
Clemson and St. Bonaventure is off the board for same reasons as before. Both of these teams wound up playing yesterday, but I did set the Bonnies as a six half point favorite. I also made this total 127 half. I think that you're going to get a little bit of a slog in. I am taking into account the fact that you are probably going to have a little bit of late game following in this game as well. You take a look at this Clemson bunch. They were able to go bombs away from three point range in their win yesterday against Temple, but I just don't think that that's going to be able to maintain itself. They wound up making 10 out of their first 15 threes yesterday. They went 11 out of 21 overall, but still pretty darn solid. You've had Nick Honor honorably be able to do a good job of serving this Clemson team. Right around 11.5 points per game, he's shooting very well from three-point range, so give him all the credit in the world, but this is a whole team that they're missing Amir Sims down low. They were able to get nine rebounds and seven points yesterday out of David Collins. The UCF transfer has been able to give you a little bit of this and that, but when it comes to size, St. Bonaventure is going to be able to win the battle down low. In my opinion, you've got out there in the backcourt Kyle Lofton, a guy that is very precise. Double-digit amount of points per game is able to give you five-plus assists per game, but what I think is going to be a key for St. Bonaventure is the fact that you've got Oshun Oshuni. It looked like there might have been a little bit of an injury with him earlier in the week. He proved yesterday that he looks just fine. 7.7 rebounds. This is someone that, while he was on the floor during the 2019-20 season, St. Bonaventure was 18-6 and straight up without him 1-6. and So his presence is big. Jerron Holmes is able to give you a little bit of this and that. He wound up having a double-double yesterday. He's averaging right in the neighborhood of about 16.5 points per game. Not necessarily a great three-point shooter this season, but last year wound up shooting 38% from distance. I think that they're going to do a good job against a Clemson team that I think that they're going to struggle to be able to put the ball in the basket against a St. Bonaventure defense that is one of the best in all of college basketball. Both of these teams play relatively slow as well, but I do think that there's going to be some late-game following, so set the total at 127.5 and made St. Bonaventure a 6.5 point favorite. We move on to game number 863, 864 on the betting board. We are going to be staying out there for the good old Charleston Classic as you've got West Virginia and Marquette. Wound up setting West Virginia as a 4.5 point favorite with a total of 134.5. West Virginia has been playing a little bit more slowly. They were able to open things up towards the back half of their game yesterday against Elon, but this is a West Virginia team that they do lose quite a bit of their three-point shooting from last season. They also wind up losing Derek Culver, but they have been able to do a good job of rebounding by committee. You do want to note that with West Virginia, they are still without James Okunkwo. He was a big-time freshman for the team and Gabe Obashoan has not necessarily been able to do a ton for the team, but Taz Sherman has been able to. You take a look at the Tasmanian Sherman. He's been able to give this team right around 19 to 20 points per game. He's been doing a great job when it comes to just being able to give this team points in general. Has not necessarily been able to give you a lot of three-point shooting, but you do also have Damon Kerrigan, who down low I think is going to be able to give this team quite a bit of something. He was entering into yesterday with three blocks per game, so he certainly has been able to do a great job when it comes to rim protecting. And then you take a look at Marquette. It's a bunch in which going into yesterday, they were getting out-rebounded by a average of nine rebounds per game. I think that they're going to do a tad bit better moving forward, but the key for this Marquette team is going to be forcing turnovers. We saw that in the game against Illinois. Yesterday against Ole Miss, they only wound up forcing nine turnovers. They actually did a halfway decent job on the glass, only losing that battle by kind of 37 to 34, which for them is fine. They don't necessarily have a lot of sides. You've got Greg Elliott currently out due to suspension, but Justin Lewis has really been able to come to the table for this team. 18 points, right around nine rebounds per game. Kirk Keith has been seeing a couple more minutes of transfer from Oklahoma. Not necessarily going to put up big numbers, but a little bit of a glue guy, and then you've got Daryl Marcel, one of the better on-ball defenders in all of college basketball. He had 22 points, went 3 of 5 from 3-point range yesterday. He's been averaging right around 23 points per game. He has really been an offensive machine for the team, but you don't necessarily have a lot else. You did wind up having Cameron Jones coming off the bench yesterday, and he put up 18 points. I just don't know how reliable that is. Marquette doesn't necessarily have as much depth as they would like to be able to run a Havoc style of defense like I know Shaka Smart would like to, but Oliver Maxine Prosper has been able 
will give the team a little bit of this and that as well. I think that you're going to see a slow and grimy game. I think that West Virginia a little bit better here, so I wound up saying them as four and a half point favorite. Also wound up making this total 134 and a half. 865, 866 on the betting board. Seeing out there in Charleston, you've got Elon taking on Ole Miss. No overnight number because you wound up seeing both of these teams played towards the evening time yesterday, but I can tell you right now, I want to making my line Ole Miss. 10.5 point favorites total on this game, 131.5. Elon the last few years has really been a low and slow team. You saw it towards the back half of the season last year in the CAA as they allowed 63 points or fewer in five out of their last six games as continued on into this season as West Virginia was just able to take it to them a little bit in the second half of that game, but when it comes to Elon, you've got the Hunters. Hunter Woods, Hunter McIntosh. McIntosh is someone that has been able to give this team right in the neighborhood about 13 or so points per game. A solid three-point shooter making just below 40% of his outside shots. When it comes to Hunter Woods, he's been a little bit more of a sixth man for this team. He's been able to do a solid job being able to give this team quite a few boards last season. He had seven boards per game this year. He's been giving you more like four rebounds per game, but I think that he's going to be able to pick it up a little bit. And then when it comes to Elon as well, Zach Irvin has been able to come on for this bunch shooting right in the neighborhood of about 40% from three-point range this season. He's been able to chip in there 14 or so points per game. And then you take a look at the flip side and what you're going to be able to get out of Ole Miss and well, they went 6 of 15 at the free throw line yesterday. I certainly think that they're going to be able to give you a little bit of a better effort. I think that Nice Brooks is going to just consume an Elon team that down low. They just don't have a lot of size in general. When it comes to this Ole Miss team, you also do have Jarkel Joyner who's really been able to do a nice job of being able to put the ball in the basket this year. He's averaging right in the pocket of about 15 or so points per game. I do think that Jamin Brakefield, him coming in from Duke is big, hasn't necessarily been shooting it well from three-point range, but has been able to give the team 10 points per game, and then you got Mr. Do-It-All in Luis Rodriguez, someone that this season is averaging 10 points, five boards, three assists, about a steal and a half per game, so these guys have all been able to come to the party, and you just have better depth in general when it comes to Ole Miss, so I do think that Elon going to be able to play a little bit more slowly, and with Kermit Davis at the helm for Ole Miss, this is a team that they've really improved their defense as well, so I did wind up saying the total at a 131.5 and made Ole Miss a 10.5 point favorite. Got another game that's off the board in 867-868. We now head to the Myrtle Beach Invitational as it's going to be New Mexico State and Utah State. While we don't have any overnight lines, I do have my line on this game and I made Utah State a 2 point favorite on this total 135. Liked what I saw out of New Mexico State yesterday. I feel like they were playing a little bit of an overrated Davidson team which is why I did wind up saying them as a pretty hefty favorite. But when it comes to Utah State as well. This is a team that they do have quite a bit of raw talent. You take a look at Ryland Jones. He was someone that while he was over there with Utah, wound up averaging right around 9 points per game, was a nearly 40% three-point shooter as a freshman before going into a little bit of a sophomore swoon, but you do take a look at New Mexico State as well. This is a team that has quite a bit of depth. They always do a good job when it comes to being able to eat up the glass, and Mike Peak, the transfer from Austin P, seems to be coming along for the ride. Began his career at Georgia at 6 points in the game yesterday, was able to knock down a pair of threes. The guy that really stood out to me yesterday was Sir Jabari Rice, who wound up going 4 of 5 from distance. He's relatively solid. You've got a guy in Donnie Tillman who's able to give you right around 12 points per game as well. And then you take a look at the flip side for Utah State. And you got Justin Bean down low who's giving you north of 10 rebounds per game. He has been doing an absolutely amazing job with regards to being able to eat up the glass. Now Teddy Allen on the other side for New Mexico State has been able to pump in there right around 15 points per game. But what I think is going to be a little bit of a difference maker here for Utah State despite the fact that they are going to be a tad bit tired. They wound up playing a double overtime game yesterday. You do have a guy in Brandon Horvath who stands right around 6 foot 10. Not necessarily the world's greatest three-point shooter, but he's able to give you some made three-pointers. And then on top of that, you've got RJ Attell Rock, 
who has been able to do a solid job, giving you a little bit of production as well. So I do take a look at this spot. I do think that you're going to see both defenses play relatively solid. Utah State's game went way over because they wound up playing in two overtimes. Mexico State, you're in Europe when it comes to defensive efficiency. One of the better teams in all of college basketball. So made Utah State a two-point favorite, set the total at a 135. We move on to 869, 870 on the betting board. You got Penn and the Quakers are going to be playing against Davidson. Once again, out there in Myrtle Beach. So we've got no numbers up on this game, but me, Davidson, a six-point favorite, total of 131. Got to question how tired Penn is going to be after they just wound up completely running out of steam in double overtime. They probably should have won that game in single overtime. That's a discussion for another day, but that was a little bit brutal. But you do take a look at this Penn team, and Jordan Dingle has been able to do a tremendous job for them, giving you right around 23 points per game as a freshman during the 2019-20 season. Was ever good at the free throw line, but was able to bump in there right in the neighborhood about 13.5 points per game. Now on the flip side, Hunjun Lee is able to do a little bit of everything for Davidson. He's right now shooting from three point range, just above 40%, giving you 14 points, seven boards. So he's able to do a lot of this and that. Sam Menga has been able to do a nice job down low. There's just nobody on Penn that's going to be able to contain him. But you do have Jelani Williams, who's coming. And it's been solid, giving you right around 9 points per game, couple rebounds, couple assists. Max Mertz down low has been, as a six foot six combo player, it will be a relatively solid rebounder as well. 4.5 points per game, so I do think that Davidson has a little bit of an edge here. I just don't know how big it is. Now, when it comes to Davidson, this is a team that you're in and you're out. They're towards the bottom 50 when it comes to total possessions per game, but you do have Luka Bravich, who has been able to do a solid job of being a versatile six foot ten gentleman. In the past, has been about, about a 35-ish percent three-point shooter, has been able to light it up thus far this season. He's been able to chip in there right around 13 and a half points per game as well. So I do think that you're going to see some efficient offense. I think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game following as well. Did wind up setting the total at 131 and I did wind up making Davidson a six point favorite. 871, 872 on the betting board. It is going to be Oklahoma taking on Indiana State. Indiana State is a team that I wound up setting as an eight and a half point underdog. They were able to go bombs away and just completely destroy who I mentioned a little bit earlier in our good friends Old Dominion. But what that said, when it comes to what you're going to be able to get out of Indiana State moving forward, they are a team that I think is going to be pumping up the tempo, and I take a look at Oklahoma, and I think that they're going to be playing low and slow, because you take a look at the coaching changes in the offseason. Porter Morsher winds up coming in from Loyola Chicago, notoriously one of the slowest teams at all of college basketball. Meanwhile, Josh Schertz winds up coming in from Lincoln Memorial, a D2 school that in five out of the last six years has averaged at least 82 points per game. They are a team that they run it and gun it, so taking a little bit of a middle approach here, and when it comes to this Indiana State team, they are going to be very fascinating moving forward because I do think that they're going to be a little bit better one slash if they wind up getting Tyree Key out there on the floor. We saw them just completely bludgeon Old Dominion yesterday, and a big key for this team has been Cooper Nice, a guy that's able to give you right around 16 points per game. He went 5 of 10 from distance yesterday. You also have to like the fact that Zach Hobbs was able to come to the party for this team. He yesterday was able to come through in a big way. Someone that winds up coming over from Lincoln Memorial. He had a rough first couple games. He was able to find it in. Down low, you've got for this team Cameron Henry, who's been able to give this team right in the neighborhood about six rebounds per game as a six foot six combo player, but I do think that Oklahoma is going to be able to outsize this team with Oklahoma. I loved what I saw towards the back half of last season out of Elijah Harkless. He, so far this season, has been able to contribute right in the neighborhood about eight points, four boards per game. I think that he's going to be able to find a little bit more. Tanner Groves, one of the best players out there in the big sky the last few years. He has been very solid for this team. Wanted following out yesterday, but still is a guy that's averaging right around 16 and a half points per game. A guy with sides that's able to shoot threes, and then Jordan Goldwire is shipping in there five assists per game. He's going to be the best facilitator out there on the floor, able to 
to give you a couple steals. I think that Oklahoma going to slow things down a little bit more, but I do think that Oklahoma going to be able to get some open looks as well. Set Oklahoma as an 8.5 point favorite and made this total 142.5. 873, 8.74 is another game that is presently off the board. You've got the other matchup from the Myrtle Beach Invitational. East Carolina against Old Dominion in the great state of South Carolina. Currently no numbers up on this game as these two teams wound up playing in the PM, so we've got no overnight number on this one, but I take a look at this, and I'm going to be setting Old Dominion actually as a favorite here of two points. I recognize that they got bludgeoned by Indiana State losing that game by like 40 points, but with Old Dominion, you got to feel like they're going to flush it, and I don't think that they're going to go Looks down at screen, 10 of 50 from the floor and 11 of 24 at the free throw line. I think that that's a very safe assumption to make. KJ Kaiser, prior to this game, had been chipping in their 15 points per game, shooting 44% from three-point range. You've been able to get a little bit of this and that from McKay Long. Long has been able to give you right in the pocket of about six points per game. He's able to chip in their five rebounds, began his career at Rhode Island. He's been able to give the team a little bit of this and that. And Kalu Azipe is able to give you seven boards per game. And they're going to be facing off against an East Carolina team in which they wind up losing their heart and soul down low in Jada Gardner, so they're going to be outgunned with that regard. Now, Tristan Newton has been able to give this team right in the neighborhood about 15 points per game, so he's been able to do a relatively solid job on that front, but you also take a look at East Carolina, and they are playing the Ole style of defense as well. Meanwhile, Old Dominion, year in and year out, one of the slower teams at all of college basketball. Vance Jackson is six foot nine, giving this team right in the neighborhood of about five rebounds per game. Wound up having a little bit of a clunker yesterday and was limited also to 19 minutes, so that's a little bit of a concern. Tremont Robinson-White has been able to give this team right around 10 points per game. He's a solid three-point shooter, but East Carolina, very much a little bit of a heat check team. They've been not doing a great job when it comes to the glass, and you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Brandon Suggs as well. Right around 12 points per game, so I do like what he's able to bring to the table, but I do think we're going to get a much better performance here out of Old Dominion. I think that they're going to do a solid job of being able to bottle up East Carolina and get their pace as well. Set this total at a 132.5 and made Old Dominion a two-point favorite. We go to 875-876 on the betting board as we've got the Paradise Jam from the Virgin Islands as Bradley and Colorado State are going to be doing battle with Colorado State find themselves as between an 11.5 and a 12-point favorite and your total on this game is anywhere between 143.5 and 144. When it comes to the spot, I wind up saying Colorado State as a hefty 19-point favorite just because with Bradley, we just have not seen this bunch necessarily be able to play well. They wind up losing on their home floor by double digits against Howard. They go on the road against South Dakota State. Now, apparently, they wound up having some issues trying to get to South Dakota State because it's a relatively remote area and they wound up getting clobbered there, but Bradley had to suspend and eventually kick off quite a few guys from the program last year. You wound up seeing some defections, so as a result, you're going to be relying upon Terry Roberts for a lot of the offense, who's been solid to this point, been able to give the team right around 14 points, five assists per game, so he's been able to give you a little bit of this and that, and you've got someone who has been able to give you a little bit over 11 boards per game in rink mass. He has been terrific coming in, six foot nine gentleman from the Netherlands. He's able to give you a little bit of three-point shooting, as really like there, as Bradley has a collective, shooting about 24% from three, and we've seen it with Colorado State. This is a team that they look very explosive on offense. You've got Isaiah Stevens and David Roddy, both giving you 17.3 points per game with Stevens last season. He was able to give the team right around five assists per game, picking up right where he left off. You've got a former D2 All-American in Chandler Jacobs that has come in and has not been able to put up the 20-plus points per game they had at the D2 level, but still been able to give the team 10 points per game. He's been able to do a relatively solid job there. Adam Thistlewood is someone with sides that's able to shoot some threes as well, so I think that Bradley is really going to be up against it in this one. And when it comes to this total, I think the Colorado
Colorado State going to be able to get their tempo. Bradley has been showing that they are unable to stop a lot of these offenses in general, so they wind up setting the total at a 147.5. I make Colorado State a 19-point favorite, so look it over and look at the lay of the points here with the Rams. 877, 878 on the betting board. What can Brown do for you? Well, if you wind up be taking between 12.5 and, and 13 points, there's a chance that they might be able to cover, and your total on this game is anywhere between 138 and 139. This seems like a really low total. Creighton was able to pop off and have a nice offensive performance against Nebraska, and then you take a look at this Brown team, and they wound up putting up 75-plus of their own against UNC. Now, UNC is looking like they're not necessarily going to be the world's greatest defensive team in the world, but at the same time, I do think that you're going to see quite a few points. I wind up saying the total at 150.5, so I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the over in the spot. When it comes to Brown, you've got quite a few guys that are starting to come along for this team. You've got Nana Osu Anane, who wound up playing in the under-19 FIBA event for Team Canada. He looked very solid out there. He's been able to come in. He's been able to give this team six points per game. And then you wind up having loyal Chicago transfer, Paxson Wojcik, come in. He's been able to give the team 12 points per game. What has been very glaring for this team is not having Tamanang show out there. He only has played one game for the team thus far. Did not look like himself in that one game. Got to figure that he's going to be out once again. And then for Creighton, it's really been by committee that the team has been getting quite a bit of their scoring. You've got Ryan Nemard along with Alex O'Connell in the backcourt, combining for a little bit over 31 points, 12 boards per game. This is a bunch that they're only shooting 56% of the free throw line. And what was not reported upon Creighton last year is that on the road, they were one of the worst free throw shooting teams at all of college basketball. But you know that they're going to be looking to push the tempo. Brown has been able to do that as well. Dan Friday has an assist to turnover ratio that is north of two. And when it comes down to it with Creighton, I do think that they're going to be able to get it done. And I think that they're going to be able to get it done by double digits. But I wound up saying this as a 12 and a half myself. So here at 13, we're seeing 12 and a half as well. I'm going to be taking a look at Brown. At 12.5, I'd be taking the points. Certainly do want that 13, but going to be taking a look at Brown as the numbers sit right now. And your total on this game, I'm going to be taking a look at it over because I want to saying this more around 150. So getting between a 138 and a 139, going to be looking at the over along with Brown. 879, 880 on the banging board. You've got Duquesne and Northeastern playing out there in the Virgin Islands with Duquesne. Find themselves anywhere between a pick and a one-point underdog, seeing a straight one and a half out there as well. And your total on this game, it is 127. And when it comes to Northeastern, I want to setting them as more on a three-point underdog. So I'm going to be taking a look at Duquesne, whether that be as a pick'em or a very, very small underdog with Northeastern. This is just a little bit of a hodgepodge team in general. That is going to be looking to Shaquille Walters to do quite a bit of something for the team. Last year, I had 10.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, shot 38% for three. This year, 8.6 boards, three assists, and he's right now leading the way when it comes to facilitation for the team. They also wound up getting some good news. It was feared that they might be without Jalen Telford for a little bit. He has played in every one of the games for the team, even though he's been a tad bit banged up, still shooting 41% from three, 12.5 points per game. And then you've got Chris Jordy, who's been able to give this team 14 points, eight boards. So he's been able to do a little bit of this and that. But when it comes to Duquesne, I do think that Trey Williams could be able to do a good job down low. Comes in from Indiana State. Has been able to log right around seven rebounds per game. And then Kevin Easley is easily the best player on this team. He was an all SoCon freshman pick while he was at Chattanooga a few years ago. Right around 13 points. A guy that at six foot seven, six foot eight, is able to pump in there some threes. Leon Ayers also comes in from the SoCon from Mercer. He's been able to give this team seven points per game. And I'm waiting for the bust out of Tyson Acuff. 
last season. He was able to give the team a little bit of this and that. Was right around four points per game. I figured he would have a little bit of a bigger role this year. Only about four and a half points per game for him thus far. He was a relatively highly touted freshman coming in. I think that he's going to be able to pop off, give the team a little bit of something of Duquesne. They're a team that's okay at the free throw line. I think that they're going to be able to get it done in this spot. I do think that it's going to be a tad bit lower scoring, but I do think that because of late game following, this is a total that's at a little bit too low. So my total at a 130 and a half. So I'm going to be taking a look at the over with saying Duquesne as a three-point favorite. Looking at them as a pick'em slash a very slight money line underdog. 881, 882 on the betting board. Southern Illinois is going to be playing against Colorado out there at St. Thomas of the Virgin Islands. And with Colorado, you're getting them anywhere between a 6.5 and a 7-point favorite. And your total on this game is anywhere between 135.5 and 136. When it comes to Colorado, I do wind up saying them as a 10-point favorite. With Colorado, it's a bunch of which I'm not necessarily too bullish on. But with Southern Illinois as well, this is a team that they do wind up bringing back Marcus Domask. I think that he's going to be able to do a good job for the team this season. But with that said as well, Marcus Domask can't do everything for the team. Lance Jones has been able to give the team 21.5 points per game last season, shot 42% from three-point range. But I just don't know how they're going to be able to hold up down low. Ben Copet Jr. is someone that at 6'7 is a combo player. Last year, while he was at Little Rock, shot 37% from three with 10 points, right around 3.5 boards per game. But when you take a look at Jabari Walker, he's actually the son of Samaki Walker. He wound up having that massive game against Georgetown in the NCAA tournament. Last year shot 52% from three as a six foot nine combo player, picking up right where he left off, shooting 40% from three. You've got Keyshawn Bartholomew, who's been able to give you right around three and a half assists per game. Has been turning the ball over a little bit, but so has Marcus Tomas. And then you've got Evan Batty, who stands right around six foot eight. He's able to give you 12.6 rebounds per game. So I think that he's going to be able to take to task a Southern Illinois bunch that they don't necessarily have a lot of size. Southern Illinois is a team that's looking to play relatively slow, and you've got a Colorado team that they've never necessarily been able to push a tempo either, so I wound up saying this total at a 133, going to be diving under with Colorado, willing to lay up to 10 with them, so laying the points here. 883, 884 on the betting board. We go to the Empire Classic out there in California as Texas State and Dixie State are going to be doing battle. Dixie State find themselves an 8.5 point underdog with your total between 138 and 138.5. When it comes to Dixie State, I wound up setting them as a 6 point underdog, so going to be taking a look at the points with Texas State. They did wind up returning a lot from their team that wound up winning the Sun Belt regular season last season, but when it also comes to this bunch, I feel like they came in a little bit overrated. I feel like what they did last year was a product of having a Sherman soft schedule, to put it politely. Now, you do have Caleb Asbury, Mason Harrell, along with Isaiah Small. All these guys had 10-plus points per game. All these guys shot 41-plus percent from three-point range last season as a collective. This is a bunch of, they're shooting right around 36.5% from three-point range, but you know that this is a team that is not going to generate a lot of turnovers, right around 4.3 steals per game for Dixie State. One of the big bugaboos for this team has been the fact that they have been turning the ball over 16 and a half times per game, but I do take a look at Hunter Schofield, guy that has been able to give this team 17 points per game. That has been rock solid. You've been able to get six boards per game. Uh, Jacob Nichols, he does need to pick up the scoring, but when it comes to Texas State, other than small, you really don't have a lot down low for this team. You don't have a ton when it comes to Dixie State either, but what I think has been very beneficial for this team is Noe Gonsalves, who's been able to come in. He's been able to give the team five points per game as a freshman, has been able to give this team a little bit of this and that, and then you've also got Cameron Gooden, who's been able to chip in their 12 and a half points per game last season. He was able to be a solid facilitator. He's up that this year with seven assists per game. I think that this is going to be a relatively slow game. Dixie State is looking to kick it up tempo, but Texas State has been one of the slowest teams 
with regards to possessions per game the last few years. So I take a look at this spot, and I'm going to be taking the points here with Dixie State. I made Texas State a six-point favorite, and I set the total at a 134.5, so dive in under as well. 885, 886 on the banking board. CSUN AK's Cal State Northridge is going to be playing against Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington is finding themselves as a favorite of 1.5 points in your total on this game. It is anywhere between 149.5 and 150 with CSUN. They're going to be playing a little bit of a de facto home game as this is taking place in Northridge, California at the Matadome. So that gives them a little bit of an edge here in Eastern Washington. They've just got all sorts of moving parts from last year. So I think that this is a spot in which it's not necessarily a good one for Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington is not necessarily going to be able to do a great job down in the low now with CSUN because of what wound up happening in the offseason. They've got a little bit of an interim coaching regime with trying to Johnson and company, so that is something that you do want to take a look at, but even with that, I want to say CSUN as a five and a half point favorite. You have had a couple of defections when it comes to CSUN, but back at the fold for this team is Darius Brown the second. Brown the second last season was able to shoot 37% from three, 10 and a half points, 5.3 assists, a 1.5 turnovers per game down low. Neither of these teams necessarily stand out to me. Linton, Aklesi has been able to give you nearly 10 boards per game for Eastern Washington. I think that that's going to sink a little bit. We also have Ryland Burgesson, who winds up coming in from what was known as a Southland school, now the Atlantic Sun in Central Arkansas. He this year has been able to give the team 10 points per game last year at 17 points per game, but was also a guy that wound up turning the ball over nearly three times for contests. You've got an Eastern Washington team that's turning the ball over nearly 16 times per game, and you've got to see some bunch of which they've been getting dump trucked, but at the same time, a lot of that has been against better competition. I do expect a little bit more out of Oni O.C., who winds up coming in from Fordham. While he was at Fordham, he was able to give the team right in the neighborhood about six and a half points and five and a half rebounds during the 2019 20 season. So I do think that CSUN going to be able to do a little bit of a better job down low. You can tell that with the interim coaching regime, they are looking to play slower than they have in the past. And for Eastern Washington, they've lost their coach, Shante Leggins of Portland as well. So they're in a lot of transition. So set CSUN as a five and a half point favorite. So I'll be taking a look at them as a money line underdog and with setting the total at 145.5, diving under as well. We go to my New York post play of the day. 887, 888 on the betting board. You've got yourself Wichita State playing against Arizona out here in lovely Las Vegas with Arizona Find them as a 7.5 point favorite, and your total on this game is anywhere between 136.5 and 137.5. The New York Post play of the day, ladies and gentlemen, it is Arizona, a team that ranks in the top 20 with both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis. They have been dump trucking opponents by right around 40 points per game. I really like what I'm seeing from this team. You've got all these guys like Ben Matherin, Azulas Tubelas, giving you a double figure amount of points per game after they wound up having good ends to their freshman season. And for Wichita State, I do think that Ty Etienne is going to play in this game after he wound up missing the team's last game against Charlton State, but what are you going to be able to get out of him? He wound up having that incredible shot to be able to knock off Jacksonville State in the first game of the season, but he has not looked like himself in the two games that he wound up playing. 10 points per game, shot 16% from three-point range. You've got a Wichita State team that you've got Maurice Oduzzi down low giving you seven and a half rebounds per game, but aside from Dexter Dennis, who doesn't necessarily have a lot of size, nobody with more than 3.3 rebounds per game, Umar Balo, should be able to win that battle. You've got Qua Grant, who's been able to give you for Wichita State right around 2.7 assists per game, but Dallin Terry has an assist return over ratio of 5 for Arizona. We all talk about the offense with Arizona and it is terrific, but what a lot of people forget about Tommy Lloyd is that he comes from a program in Gonzaga that though the offense gets all the headlines, the defense is typically relatively solid as well. We are seeing that with 
this Arizona bunch as well. I think that Arizona is just better than Wichita State in general. I wound up setting Arizona as a 9.5 point favorite, so I made the New York Post by the day. Arizona laying the 7.5 points if this winds up getting up to an 8, even 8.5. Still like it there. And when it comes to this total, set it at a 142.5 because Arizona has been kicking it up tempo. And I do think that ATN does wind up returning and giving this Wichita State team a tad bit of something. So, going over and the New York Post play of the day, Arizona on the spread. 889-890 is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the X game says you got Michigan playing against UNLV. UNLV is anywhere between a 13 and a half and a 14 point home underdog. Well, technically it's at T-Mobile Arena. They play at the Thomas and Mack Center, but it's a home game. Let's call it what it is. And your total on this game is anywhere between 135 and 135 and a half. I said Michigan as a seven point favorite. I feel like it's being a little bit underreported. The fact that this is a game that's being played in Las Vegas, ladies and gentlemen. I feel like people are taking this as if it's a true neutral court game. But when it comes to Michigan, wound up souring on them a little bit after their loss against Seton Hall. Now, you give all the credit in the world to Seton Hall, but at the same time, I do like what's being built over at UNLV as well, a team that they very rarely wind up giving bad performances on their own floor. Now, with Michigan, you got Hunter Dickinson, 18.5 points, right around 8 points per game. I don't think that Royce Ham is going to be able to hold up, though. If you look at him, he has been going ham with 13.7 rebounds per game. He wound up spending his career at Texas, was really just an afterthought when it came to his time at Texas, but Bryce Hamilton, I think, is going to be playing a key role for this UNLV team. Last year, did a little bit of everything with 18.6 rebounds, 3 assists per game. Never necessarily been the world's greatest 3-point shooter, but at the same time, he's able to pop a couple from distance, and a guy that's able to help him out, Jordan McCabe, someone that winds up coming in from West Virginia while he was at West Virginia. A little bit more of a primary facilitator. Never necessarily been a guy that has shot a ton of threes, but he's been able to make a couple here in the early going, and Michael Nuga, I felt like went under the radar as a transfer as well. When he was at Kent State last season, I had a season cut short due to injury, but 18 points, 5.5 boards, shot 38.5% from 3-point range. Guy that's able to give you a steal and a half per game. So, I do think that the UNLV backcourt is going to be able to hang in there against the likes of Devontae Jones, who came in from Coastal Carolina, has been able to give out an assist to turnover ratio right around 2.5. You've got a Michigan team that, in general, has been able to do a relatively solid job of 3-point shooting. You've got Eli Brooks giving you 14 points, 4 boards, 3.5 assists per game. Does a little bit of this and that, but I feel like this number is a little bit too lofty. And when it comes to this total, you've got a UNLV team that, I think that they're going to look to play at sort of a middle-ish tempo, and I think that you wind up getting some late-game following as well. So, set this total at 142.5. I'm going to be taking a look at the over. I set Michigan as a 7-point favorite, so taking the points here with the running Rebels. Now we have the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. Going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order with these as well. This begins with 306-811, You've got Vermont and the Catamounts are going to be playing us at Yale. The Bulldogs are finding themselves as a four and a half point underdog in your total on this game. It is 139. I want up saying Vermont as a six point favorite. You wound up having Ryan Davis play with a little bit of an illness in the game against Maryland, and he wound up outright missing the game against Northern Iowa, in which they were able to win on the road by double figures. Meanwhile, you take a look at Yale, and it's been the best of times, and it's been the worst of times for this team. They wind up being able to take down UMass by 20 points earlier this season, and then they also wound up having just a completely terrible showing when they wound up going up against Seton Hall, a very good Seton Hall team, but wound up getting dump trucked in that game. When it comes to Vermont, Ben Chungu has been able to give you 15 points per game from three-point range. He's been shooting 50%, obviously, a small sample size, but I think that he's going to be able to do some very nice things for the team. When it comes to Yale, it's a bunch of what you're looking to push your tempo a little bit more. They got Azir Swain coming back. He was the top scorer of the holdovers from the Ivy League from two seasons ago during the 2019-20 season. Had 16 points per game, shot right around 39% from three-point range, so he's able to put the ball in the basket. What you lack with Yale is really that 
that main facilitator. Nobody with more than two assists per game. Meanwhile, for Vermont, a very good defensive team. Guys like Robin Duncan and company are not guys that are going to score a lot, but Duncan, though he's only putting in there 2.3 points per game, 6.7 rebounds per game. He's able to give you a steal. Does great job when it comes to locking down on defense. Vermont also does a good job of not turning the ball over either right around nine turnovers per game for them. So I think it's going to be tough for Yale because Yale is going to be a little bit undersized with Davis coming back. He was actually third in all of college basketball in points on a per minute basis among qualifying players last season. So I take a look at the spot and I do think that this is a total that I set a little bit too high. I wound up setting it at a 134. So diving under and we'll lay up, up to six here with Vermont. So going to be laying the points. 306, 813, 306, 814. You've got Iona and they're going to be playing against Liberty in a very fun Atlantic Sun versus Metro Atlantic, I guess you could call it showdown with Iona. Find themselves as a four-point underdog in your total on this game as a 136. We've got ourselves a flipperoo. I want to making Iona a four and a half point favorite. So we've got that going on. And when it comes to this Iona team, I just think that they've got a little bit more talent in general than Liberty. Now with Liberty, you've got Darius McGee, someone who last season was able to pump in there right around 12 points per game. Very solid three-point shooter, both Iona. I think that they're going to be able to outside them down low. You've got Kyle Rode on the end for Liberty, giving you right around six and a half rebounds per game. But you've got Nelly Jr. Joseph, someone who's been able to give this Iona team 17 and a half points, five boards. He's also been able to chip in there nearly two blocks per game. So he's been able to do a great job with that regard. Tyson Jolly has been very jolly. He comes in from SMU, someone that stands right around 6'4". He's pumping in there 19 points per game. Dylan Van Eyck is able to give you a little bit of this and that as well. You don't have that one guy with Iona that's giving you a double-digit amount of boards, but you just got a bunch of guys that they do a good job with it. And then Elijah Joyner. He's someone that comes in from Tulsa. He's been able to give this team 9 points while I was at Tulsa. Had his best year last year. He's been able to build off of that. And then when it comes to Liberty, a squad that year in and year out, always a good 3-point shooting team this year. They're shooting right around 36% from 3-point range, but I do question how much you're going to be able to get out of Keegan McDowell. Someone that shot 40% for three last season was able to put in there seven points per game. He's going to be looked to for a little bit of a bigger role this year. I think that this is going to be a slow and grimy game. Iona, a very efficient defense. Liberty, a team that year in and year out, they're in the bottom 10 when it comes to possessions per game. So I think that this total is way too high. I set it at a 125. I'm going to be diving under. And with Liberty, I wound up setting them as a four-point underdog rather than a four-point favorite. So we're taking Iona on the money line. We move on at 306, 815, 306, 816. You've got Longwood and the Lancers are going to be playing us to American. American, a four-point underdog in your total on this game. It is 135, and when it comes to Longwood, I did wind up making them a five-point favorite. So I'm willing to lay it here. willing to lay even a four and a half if you wind up getting that as well. When it comes to Longwood, what I like for this bunch is that they just seem to be coming together a little bit more as a collective. Now, when it comes to what you're able to get out of American, you do have Stacey Becton Jr., someone that last year shot over 40% from three-point range. He's given the team 19 points per game. You've also had a little bit of something down low when it comes to American as well. Johnny O'Neill has been able to do a solid job, giving you right around eight and a half points, four rebounds. He's able to shoot a couple threes and then got 40% three-point shooting as well out of Connor Nelson, who last season was able to give the team only about six and a half points per game after as a freshman in a full season, eight points and 37% shooting. But when you take a look at the flip side for this Longwood team, Justin Hill is someone that's standing out to me right around eight points, six boards, six assists. Guy does a little bit of everything. Three-point shooting has been a little bit down, but that's due to a small sample size, in my opinion. And this team winds up bringing in Isaiah Wilkins, who wound up spending a lot of time out there in the ACC for both Wake Forest and Virginia Tech. He has been very dominant recently for this team, right around 14 points per game. He's given you eight boards. I think that he's going to be by far the best pure athlete out there on the floor in this game. Zach Watson is someone that comes in from UC Riverside. He's been able to give this team a couple boards. And I like what I'm seeing as well out of Leslie 
Kurakuam, who has been able to give this team right around 13 points, six boards last year. He had more like eight points per game. Not a guy that's going to step out there and shoot threes, but he's able to give you a little bit of size. I think that's where American's going to be lacking. American, a little bit of a better three-point shooting team, but I think that Longwood is going to be able to win this game from within. Set this at 137. I think that you get some late-game fouling, and I think that both teams hit a couple threes. So going over, and I'm going to be laying the four-year with Longwood. 306, 817, 306, 818. You've got yourself Bowling Green playing off during Norfolk State. Norfolk State, a nine and a half point underdog, and your tall on game is 144 and a half. We've seen it the last few years where Bowling Green has been overrated, and I think that they are once again. I got Norfolk State in this spot as a five and a half point underdog with Norfolk State. What I like for the team is Chris Bankson. You may recall, I believe it was four years ago, the 2018-19 season. He led all of college basketball among qualifying players, shooting 81% from the floor while he was at Little Rock. That is something that impresses me. And then you take a look at this Bowling Green team, and no longer do you have Justin Turner down for what? They did turn him down, and I don't know what for, because he was able to give the team 19 points per game and they've been dealing with quite a few injuries as well. When it comes to Bowling Green, the big thing for this bunch is that their backcourt has been lacking Caleb Fields. He has not been able to get out there this season and that has been very glaring as he's someone that last year was able to give the team right around 7 points per game. He was expected to see more minutes with Justin Turner on the fold. So as a result, they've been looking a lot to some of their other guys as well. Trey Diggs has been able to give you 9 points per game. Last year shot 37% from 3, shooting a similar clip this season. You've got Taquan Plowden, who's been able to do a relatively solid job. He's been able to give this team right in the neighborhood at about 12 points per game at six foot six, He's able to shoot threes. He wound up last year having right around seven to eight rebounds per game. He's been able to chip in there seven boards thus far this season. But you do take a look at Norfolk State, and I think that this is a squad that they're going to be able to do a relatively solid job of being able to hold up there in the backcourt because you do have a guy in Joe Bryant who has been able to do a nice job with right around 18 points per game. He's chipping in there for assists now. The five turnovers per game is a little bit unsightly, but I think that he's going to be able to rein that in against a Bowling Green team that they don't necessarily generate a lot of seals in Norfolk State. They themselves get the ball back with 11.5 seals per game. So, I want him saying Bowling Green as a 5.5 point favorite, so going to be looking to take the points here when it comes to Norfolk State. And I set this all at 139.5 Norfolk State is a team in which I think that they're going to be towards the middle when it comes to tempo. And with Bowling Green, I think that they need to slow down a little bit with Justin Turner out of the fold, so diving under as well. 306, 819, 306, 820. You've got yourself Furman and the Paladins are going to be playing us a Radford. Radford is a 15-point underdog in your total on this game. It is 137. And when it comes to this spot, I want up saying Furman as a 14-point favorite. The big reason why I can't get there with Furman is just because I think that Bradford is going to do everything humanly possible to make this a very slow, grimy, grind them out style of game. Now, you do want to note that with Radford, Xavier Lipscomb, who has been a solid point guard for this team in the first couple games of the season last year, was playing a little bit more of an ancillary role. He did wind up missing the team's last game. He was averaging three assists per game, so that is something that you do want to note for this team, and with Radford, you don't have a single guy that's giving you more than five rebounds per game, but they've been able to do an okay job by committee. You've got someone like Cameron McNeil who stands right around six foot five. He's been able to chip in their nine points, four boards per game. Not a Radford team that is necessarily going to go out there, go bombs away from three-point range, but I do think that Radford is going to be able to play a little bit better than they have in their last few games. They wound up having to play Virginia and Virginia Tech, which is not easy, and Radford, always a team that they're looking to make things slow and grimy. Furman, meanwhile, they've been able to kick things up tempo. They have scored 80-plus points in each of their first three games of the season, but their numbers are thrown off a little bit because they wound up playing a pair of overtime games, so that makes their possessions per game. They're just raw numbers in general when it comes to points, assists, what have you. Get thrown out of whack. Now, Jalen Slauson, I think, is going to be the best rebounder 
Hunter in this game. He's given Furman right around 8.5 rebounds per game, and I do like Mike Bothwell. 25 points per game from 3-point range, shooting 50%, and Furman as a collective is shooting 45%, but this is a bunch of last year. They just weren't quite as efficient. I do think that Radford is going to be able to do a nice job of being able to guard the arc. I still think that Alex Hunt is going to be able to get his. He's averaging 18 points per game, and I did wind up saying the total at a 138. I think that this is a total that is relatively solid here at 137. Willing to go a little bit over because I think that Radford is going to get a couple open looks themselves, but was only willing to make Furman a two-touchdown favorite. So, taking the 15 with Radford, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over as well. 306-821, 306-822. Merrimack is going to be playing us a Lehigh. Lehigh is a nine-point underdog, and your total on this game, it is 130.5. I want to say the total at 120.5. Merrimack has not been able to do much on offense, but they do play that amoeba zone-style defense I think is going to give Lehigh all sorts of fits. When it comes to Lehigh, it has been an interesting bunch, to say the least, when it comes to offense, but they've been able to step up a little bit more on defense. You've got the Wilsons and Jamal Wilson, along with Marcus Wilson with Marcus. He's the main scorer with right around 16 and a half points per game. Both of these guys are able to give you a couple of rebounds, and when it comes to Merrimack, you've got two main guys in Jordan Minor, along with Ziggy Reed, giving you production with Minor. Last season, he wound up having 12 points, 8 boards per game. This year, he's been able to chip in their three blocks right around 11.5 points per game. And for Reed, right around 9.6 boards. Not a guy that has been necessarily terrific from three-point range. That has been the case for this entirety of the Merrimack team. Merrimack shooting 28% from three. They've been generating a lot of turnovers as they're getting 12.5 seals per game. So give them credit there. But just really a lack of effective offense team, to say the least. You've got Dominic Perrolone, who is going to in my opinion, keep Lehi in the game down low. He's been able to give you right around nine rebounds per game. Lehi, they themselves are shooting from three-point range right in the neighborhood, 28%. So I think that you're going to see a little bit of a grimier game. I think that you could wind up seeing this come down to free throws. Neither of these teams are necessarily terrific there. So what I'm saying, Lehi is a six-and-a-half-point underdog, so I'm going to be taking the points. And when it comes to this total, set it at a 120.5, so diving under as well. 306-823, 306-824. You've got yourself Virginia, and they're going to be playing as a compensate. Total on this game is 128 and Virginia is laying 26 and a half points. I said Virginia is a 35-point favorite. I legitimately think that Compensate is a bottom 25 team in all of college basketball now. Good news for them is that they were able to get their first win of the season against Loyola Maryland a couple days ago, but with Compensate last year, in terms of total possessions per game, they were in the top three of all of college basketball. Virginia they, the last five years, have been in the bottom three in every one of them. You got a guy in Jaden Gardner, I think, is just going to eat the lunch of compensate down low. 13 points, six and a half rebounds per game. Comes in from Eastern Kentucky. He's been relatively solid. Tyree Corbett on the other side for compensate. Comes in from Elkhorn State. He's been able to give you right around six boards per game, but when it comes to this compensate team, they typically aren't a good three-point shooting team to start with. This doesn't look like a vintage Virginia defense, but they're still relatively solid. I just don't know where the three-point shooting is going to be able to come from. You got a guy doing a little bit of this and that in Nada Tarkey. He's been able to chip in there 9.3 points, five boards. He actually has been able to shoot 41% from three-point range, so I like what he's showing there, but when it comes to this Virginia team, I do think that you're going to be able to get Armand Franklin online. He's been a little bit hit or miss to begin the year, but still giving you 13 points per game. Kia Clark hasn't been doing as much facilitating this season, but still giving you three assists, nine points. Reese Speakman has been able to help him out a little bit with that as well. I do look down low for a little bit more of Francisco Kerfafo, who is seven foot one, comes in from Argentina. He's been able to do a solid job, giving you right around four and a half rebounds per game. So I think that Virginia is going to overwhelm compensate. Virginia's obviously a team that plays very slow, but you give them open shots, they're going to take them. I think that Virginia is going to take them and run with them in the spot, set them as a 35 point favorite. So I'm willing to lay the points, set the total at a 130 as well. So going over as well. 306, 825, 306, 826. You've got yourself Kennesaw State and the Owls as we give our Ode to Lane Tiffany. Go Owls. They're going to be playing us at Belmont. 
Belmont is finding themselves a 14-point road favorite, and we've got no overnight total on this game. I wound up setting my overnight total at a 143.5. You've got a Belmont team that they are really looking to push your tempo. Kennesaw State, year in and year out, has been one of the least efficient offenses in all of college basketball, but big key with Belmont. I've gotten this one from Chelsea Messenger, who wound up actually alerting me to this last season. They cover right around 70% of their games as a double-digit favorite, and I think that they're going to be able to do so once again. This is a Belmont team in which they are one of the few in college basketball that when they are big giant favorite. They wind up just taking it to the other team. They show no mercy. You've got a Belmont bunch of which you do have quite a few versatile pieces. When it comes to the team, Ben Shepard has been able to give you 15 points per game. Not a guy that has necessarily been facilitating a lot this year, but I had four and a half boards per game last season. Grayson Murphy is a guy that does really a little bit of everything for Belmont. 13.7 points, 7 boards, 5.7 assists. He's currently shooting 62.5% from three last year. Shot more like 36% from three, but also had more than two steals per game last season as well. And then on the other side for Kennesaw State, you've got Tyrell Burden, who's been able to give the team five assists per game. He's been able to do a little bit of this and that, and Chris Youngblood has been able to come in for 13 points per game, but when you take a look at Kennesaw State, got a bunch that they're improving a little bit on offense. They're shooting 30% from three. The turnovers, they're still a little bit unsightly, but they're not as terrible as they have been, but I chalk it up a little bit more to the fact that they do wind up playing a Creighton team that is not necessarily too terrific on defense. They wind up playing a pair of non-D1 teams to be able to get themselves online as well. You do have a guy in Desmond Robinson who's been able to give you right around 7 rebounds per game. You're going to get a couple boards per game out of a few of these other guys like an Alex Peterson as well, but I do think that Belmont should be able to overwhelm this team. Nick Mazuzinski is someone that stands right around six foot nine. His three-point shooting has been a little bit off since the beginning of last season, but still certainly a guy that is able to do some nice things down low and then throw there, Luke Smith with his 11 points, four and a half boards per game, and solid three point shooting. So, willing to lay it here with Belmont, willing to lay up to a 15 and a half. And my total on this game is a 143 and a half, as we don't have one overnight. 306, 827, 306, 828. You've got yourself George Washington, and our nation's first president is going to be playing LC UMass Lowell. It is nice for UMass Lowell to be getting four points from our nation's first president, and your total on this game, it is 136, and someone must be copying my line, because I set this as a four-point favorite with a total of 136, so go figure there. Now, rest assured, we are probably going to be seeing some sort of line move, and I don't think every single book is going to be listing this as your number, or else I'm going to be wondering what's going on here, but at this number, it is exactly what we wind up getting. I'd be willing to take it with UMass Lowell before I'd be willing to lay it with George Washington. George Washington has been suspect at best to say the least. Now, with George Washington, you do have a little bit of rebounding when it comes to the team. Ricky Lindo Jr. has been able to do a nice job for this bunch ever since becoming eligible for the team. He's been able to chip in there right in the neighborhood about 9.5 rebounds per game. You do have a guy in Joe Bezmiel who's been able to give the team 14.5 points per game, but the problem with George Washington is that they don't have much depth. You've got Lindo Jr., Meal, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, throwing there James Bishop and Brendan Adams. A pair of guys are giving you combined about 25 and a half points per game, and then after that, you don't have a single guy giving you more than four points per game. So you've legitimately got four guys that are able to put the ball in the basket. They're shooting 27% from three point range. Then you've got a UMass little team that they're playing relatively solidly as a collective. Justin Fazian has been able to give you right around 12 and a half points. 3.3 assists has come up from the non D1 level and has looked relatively solid. You've had Everett Hammond come in as a transfer from USC Upstate, giving you 11 points points per game. He's shooting 38% from three. UMass Lowell is a bunch of which they've been able to do a good job of being able to take care of the ball as well. Obedient Noel being out of the fold was a little bit of a concern for me, but they've done a good job of not turning it over. You've got Ian Akeem, who's been able to give you right around five points per game down low. This team might get decimated a little bit, but you still have Max Brooks giving you six rebounds per game, so I take a look at UMass Lowell. I do think that they're going to be able to hold in this game, and if we wind up having this total exactly at 136, I lean a little bit more towards the over, just because when you wind up getting games that are 
like four or five points in the final minute, you get to the march of the free throw line. So I'd rather be on the over rather than the under, but I did wind up playing this at four and a 136. So I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the way that the line winds up moving in the AM and holding off to bet that until we see that. 306-829-306-830. You've got Fordham, and they're going to be playing us to Maryland Eastern Shore. The Shore is finding themselves as a 15.5 point underdog, and your total on this game, it is 129. With Fordham, I do like what Kyle Neptune is doing for the team, and as a result, I did wind up setting them as a 17.5 point favorite in this spot. When it comes to Fordham, you've got a bunch of which you've now finally got some offensive weapons. Darius Quinzenberry has come in. He was able to average right around 16 points per game at Youngstown State last season. You've got a Maryland Eastern short team that give them credit they've given some spirited efforts here in the early part of the season but got a bunch of wound up opting out of last season Zion Stiles has been able to give you 12 points per game one of the few returners from two seasons ago to Sean Phillip he's chipping in there nine points per game shooting 42 percent for three but I feel like he's playing a little bit over his head meanwhile you take a look at Fordham and Chuba Holmes down low has been able to give you 14 points and 15 rebounds per game big bugaboo with him 5.3 turnovers per game but they're playing against a Maryland East or Georgia team that they don't necessarily generate a bunch of turnovers you've also got a guy in DJ Gordon who's able to give you a little bit of this and that as well and I think that Antonio Day Jr. and the fact that he in past years has been able to generate right around two steals per game it's going to be very beneficial for the team. Fordham is looking to kick it up tempo. University of Maryland Eastern Shore. It's always been a little bit of a low and slow team. So when I'm saying this total at a 131 and a half, I think it's a tad bit too low because I think that Fordham is going to be able to hit a couple open threes against Maryland Eastern Shore. So laying the points here with Fordham and I'm going to be taking this total over. There is 6831, 3-6832. You've got yourself Robert Morris and they're going to be playing against Mount St. Mary's. The Mount is finding themselves as a four and a half point underdog. Your total on this game, it is 133. Keep in mind that this is going to be a neutral court game. This is a part of that Kentucky multi-team event, so I'm going to be taking note of that myself. But when it comes to Robert Morris, I do wind up saying them as a 5 and a half point favorite in this spot with Robert Morris. I just think that you've got a little bit more firepower in general. Khalil Spear, the transfer from the Bracket Boston Bucknell Bison, has been able to give you 14 points, 7 boards per game. You bring in Rasheem Dunn, who last season was playing at St. John's. He at St. John's was able to do a very solid job. A seal and a half, 4 assists, 9 and a half points per game. Big thing with him. He has never been able to shoot threes. That's why you've got some of the ancillary pieces that you do on this team. Michael Green, the third, comes in for Brian. He shot in the high 30s from three-point range. Just eight points per game. Those far fair and flavors. He has yet to refine what he had at Cal Baptist a few years ago, where he shot 43% from three with a double-digit amount of points per game. You've been dealing with a couple of ailments as well as Cam Ferris has not been able to get out there on the court this season. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mount St. Mary's and they wound up losing the entirety of their backcourt from last season, so they've been looking to build around UAB transfer Jalen Benjamin. He's been able to give the team 11 points, 4.3 assists per game. He is shooting right around 38% from three-point range, but he's also been turning the ball over a lot as well as there aren't a lot of creators for this team. You've got Nana Okpu along with Malik Jefferson. These guys combined for right around 14 rebounds per game when they wound up going to the NCAA tournament last season. Mezzi Offerman has been able to give you a little bit of this and that as well, but none of these guys really have a lot of versatility. You're left with guys that they just don't shoot the three. Well, Josh Reeves has come in. He's been able to shoot right in the neighborhood of about 38% from three-point range, averaging seven and a half points per game in two seasons at Mount St. Mary's, but lack of depth in the backcourt, I think is going to be costly for Mount St. Mary's, a team that they play one of the solar styles in all of college basketball. I did, as a result, set this total at a 131 and a half, so I'm going to be diving under and willing to lay up to five and a half here with Robert Morris, so going to be laying the points. 306-833, 306-834. You've got Wofford and the 
Terriers are going to be playing against Hampton. Hampton is a 16-point road underdog, and the total for this game is presently off the board. I made my total personally at 144. You do have a Hampton team that they have been known for playing a little bit more up-tempo last year. They played a tad bit slower, and Wofford is always a team that they like to control the game, to say the least. They're not a team that they're going to be necessarily getting out of line, but they're always a good three-point shooting team, and showing that this year, shooting 39% from distance, a little bit over 53% from the floor now. The reason why I do think that Hampton is going to be able to hold in there is that you don't necessarily have a ton of rebounding when it comes to this Terriers team. You have been able to get right around 7.5 rebounds and 7.3 points per game out of Isaiah Bigelow, but past that, you don't have a whole heck of a lot else in. Funny to last name, Bigelow, but well, you've got Max Kleesman, who's been able to do a solid job. He comes in from Nina, Wisconsin, very close to where I wound up growing up. He's been able to give this team 14 points per game after last season. He was very solid. BJ Mack has come in, 9 points, 4.7 rebounds per game, and then you've got Ryan Larson doing a little bit of everything. 9.5 points, 4.7 rebounds, 4.3 assists. Last year shot 45.5% from three-point range, but for Hampton, what I do like for this bunch as well is that you've got some good players down low. Najee Garvin winds up coming in after he wound up leading Nichols in rebounds with 7 per contest along 13.5 points per game last season. He's been really able to pick up on those numbers as well. DeJure Dickens last year was able to give the team over 2.5 blocks per game. He's been continuing that this year and when it comes to the backcourt, you've been able to get right around 9.5 points per game out of Raymond Bethea Jr. He's shipping in their 5 boards per game now with Hampton. Not a good 3-point shooting team. They're shooting right around 25% from distance, but I do think that they're going to be able to control the game down low. I do think that Wofford going to be able to get some open threes. I think that things become a little bit more sporadic in general, so I did wind up saying this total at 144, but was only one lay up to 12 year with Wofford, so I'm going to be taking the points with Hampton. 306, 835, 306, 836. You've got yourself Manhattan and the Jaspers are going to be playing us to North Alabama. North Alabama is finding themselves as an underdog of four points, and your total on this game is currently off the board. I wound up setting North Alabama personally as a two-point favorite, so I'm going to be taking a look at North Alabama being able to win this game outright. When it comes to Manhattan, this is just a bunch that they don't hit their free throws to save their lives. I think that that's really going to come back and that is going to bite them in the butt. When it comes to Manhattan, you do have quite a few guys that they're able to do a little bit of this and that. I do like the fact that you wind up bringing in from... Gardner-Webb, Jose Perez, who wound up playing at Marquette last season, but at Marquette, you could tell that he was a clear afterthought. His freshman shot very well from three-point range, and ever since then, it has just went straight down the toilet. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side and what you're going to be able to get out of some of these other guys for North Alabama, and I think that's going to be quite a bit of something. You've got Daniel Ortiz who's been able to give you 11 points per game. C.J. Brim is back after he last season was able to give the team right around 8.5 points per game. I think that he's going to be able to do a solid job of being able to hold it down in the backcourt for the team. Tom Diallo and Dallas Howell, I they are going to cancel each other out down low and then when it comes to North Alabama, what I think is going to be key for this team as well is what you're going to be able to get out of Isaac Chapman who's been able to give this team thus far 8 points 5 rebounds, began his career at Campbell and has come into this program, not necessarily been versatile from 3, but why was that Campbell was more on a 38% 3 point shooter, I think that he's going to be able to deliver a little bit of this and that and you've also got Jamari Blackman as well who's able to give out right around 4 assists per game, meanwhile for Manhattan you've still got Ann Nelson who has been just a walking turnover Manhattan year in and year out. They do a bad job of being able to hit free throws. Any close game, you want no part of Manhattan as in past years. They've shot sub 60% of the free throw line this year. They're shooting 63.6% of the free throw line, which is why I do wind up making North Alabama a two-point favorite in this spot. So I'm going to be taking a look at them on the money line. And when it comes to the total, I think the Manhattan going to be able to get their style of very, very slow and sloppy. So set the total at a 128 and a half. 
306, 837, 306, 838. UMBC is going to be playing us Western Carolina. Western Carolina is a four-point underdog with your total at 143.5. They say UMBC has a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Jim Ferry, who wanted coming in after being the interim coach at Penn State last season, has been able to do a relatively solid job for the team. And for UMBC, though they did wind up losing quite a few pieces from last season. They did wind up retaining a few guys as well, and I think that they're going to be coming through very big in this game. You've got Keandre Kennedy, who has been able to give the team 15 points per game. He's been able to just do a little bit of this and that, and Jacob Bonyeseth, who last season was really an afterthought for this UMBC bunch after coming in from America. He's been able to do some nice things. He's been able to give the team right around 9.5 boards per game. He's been able to do a good job of being able to dole out a few assists, so I do like that. And then you've got Darnell Rogers. The guy that's like five foot three, that's able to bury threes. He's averaging twelve and a half points per game now. UMBC been struggling from three point range, but they're also shooting eighty nine percent the free throw line. They're doing the little things well. And then with Western Carolina, you have been able to get quite a bit of something out of Valparaiso transfer Nick Robinson. He's chipping in their seventeen points, ten boards. He's been rock solid. Western Carolina shooting thirty six and a half percent from three point range. I attribute that to the fact that you wound up playing some bad competition. Wake Forest is a solid team, but Bowling Green is overrated, and East Carolina not playing a whole like a lot of defense in general with. UMBC. I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job down low, and I think that the X-Factor for them, Ray Selnoff. He last season at DePaul did not wind up seeing a lot of minutes, but two seasons ago at Monmouth, 14.5 points, 4.5 boards, 3 assists, wound up shooting 37% from 3. I think that he's a real X-Factor for this UMBC team. I do think the UMBC is going to be kicking things a little bit more up-tempo. You take a look at Ferry, and what he did at Penn State, they played much faster last year while he was at Duquesne. His teams didn't necessarily play a lot of defense either, so since it's all a 149.5, I'm going to be taking the over and one lay up to a seven and a half here with UMBC, so laying it here with the Terriers as we move on to game number 306, 839, 306, 840. Duke is going to be playing us to Lafayette. The Leopards are finding themselves as a 32-point underdog, and your total on this game, it is 150. Barely within my number, I want to say Duke as a 32-and-a-half-point favorite. Seems as though Paulo Banchero is not going to be facing any discipline for what wound up happening a few days ago, and he is absolutely terrific as a player out there on the court. He's a guy that is going to be a top-five draft pick. He's able to give you rebounds. He's able to shoot some threes. If you need him to, he'll sell hot dogs at the hot dogs and and you've got a Lafayette bunch at, let's face it. They just don't have a lot of ability in general. Now, they do have a seven-footer, Neil Quinn, who's able to give you eight and a half rebounds per game, but he's not going to be able to match up down low as you've been able to get a whole lot of something out of Mr. Mark Williams, who last season in the team's final 10 games of the season averaged right around 11 points, five and a half rebounds and two blocks per game. You've got Wendell Morris already got a triple-double to his credit this season, 15.6 boards, 5.3 assists, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. We saw what Trevor Keels was able to do opening night. He's giving you 15 points per game, and you've got a Lafayette bunch that they wound up losing the jaws of life in Justin Jaworski along with EJ Stevens, by far their top two scorers, two of the more efficient players in all of college basketball. Now Leo O'Boyle at six foot seven has been able to give the team right around 11 points, shooting 37% from three, so got a little bit of that, but Lafayette, I think, is going to be no match for a Duke team that has been showing that they're very dominant on defense as well, but they play at a very up-tempo pace, so I set the total at 152. I'm willing to go over and willing to lay up to 32 with Duke as I made them a 32 and a half point favorite, so laying the points here as well. 306, 841, 306, 842. Lamar is going to be playing us as Stetson. Stetson is a one-point road favorite, and your total on this game, it is 144. Made Lamar a four and a half point favorite with Lamar. It has been a little bit of a disappointing start to their season, and just their tenure in general out there in the whack, but I think that they're going to get right against the Stetson team that they've been without Mamadou Diwaria down low. He was just a liability for this team in general the first couple games of the season. He's been limited to 10 minutes per contest, 2.3 points, 3 rebounds per game. You don't have a lot of rebounding in general. Got one guy coming up clutch for this team, Josh Smith. Josh Smith has been able to give the team 14 and a half points, right around seven boards per game last season. Was able to shoot right in the pocket about 38% from three-point range as well. You do have a guy in Rob Perry that's able to do a little bit of this 
and that as well. He is helped out by the fact that Steven Swenson has been able to give out right around 5.7 assists per game. Big issue with him is that he does wind up giving up nearly three turnovers per game. You've been able to have quite a bit of backcourt play when it comes to Stetson, but at their core, a little bit of a slower team. You've got a Lamar team that they're not necessarily fast. They're not necessarily slow either, so I did wind up setting this total more around a 138.5, so I'm going to be looking at the under, but when it comes to Lamar, I did like the fact that they wound up picking up Jordan Adams from Austin P, a guy that as a freshman at Austin P had 17.5 points, shot 37.5% from three-point range last season. He was banged up, so I throw that out a little bit. You've also got Davion Buster, who last season took right around like 40% of the threes for this Lamar Bunch, he's someone that shot 38% from three. Hasn't necessarily been as big of a part of the offense thus far this season. I think that he's going to be able to get back to that a little bit more. And then when you take a look down low, this is a Lamar team that they don't have much of anything. But the good news is, Setson doesn't either. And you've got Kaysan Harrison, who's able to do a little bit of everything. 11.5 points, 5.7 rebounds, 4 assists. I think that that's going to be a key for this team. Last year, also shot 48% from three. So I think that Lamar is going to be able to go bombs away from distance against a Setson team that doesn't guard the arc very well. Setting Lamar as a 4.5 point favorite, so I'll take them as a money line underdog. And with making this total 138.5, diving under. 306, 843, New Orleans is going to be playing us a rice. The Owls, as we give our ode to Lane Kiffin. Go Owls. Find themselves as an 8-point underdog in your total on this game. It is 151.5. I feel like Rice should be a favorite. I only set them as a four-point favorite. I do think that New Orleans is going to be a competitor out there in the new Southland Conference, and you wound up seeing them play relatively solid against Northwestern. When it comes to New Orleans, you've got someone in Derek St. Hilaire, who wound up coming in from the OI Valley Conference a few seasons ago. Last year, shot 40% for three. This year, he's pumping in there 22 points, shooting 35% for three. Now, for Rice, you've got Travis Evie, giving you right around 17.5 points, four boards, three assists per game. He's shooting over 50% for three. He's always been right around a 37% three point shooter. Max Fiedler is a very good passer for a big man. Last season, 11 points, 9 boards, 3.6 assists per game. He's been able to put up right around 9.5 points and a little bit over 10 boards per game this season. And then I do like what you're getting out of Terrence McBride as well. McBride is someone that winds up coming in from Cornell. He, during the 2019-20 season, was able to put in there right around 13 points per game. Not necessarily a great 3-point shooter, but able to facilitate the offense a little bit. But for New Orleans as well, what I think is going to be a very key thing for this team is the fact that they are getting quite a bit of something out of Kamani Doty. He has been able to come in as a freshman. He's been able to give the team right around two assists, three boards. He's been shooting 40% from three-point range, so like the range of things that he's given this team. And Troy Green Jr. is going to pick it up. Last year, this is someone that had 15 points per game season before, 14.5 points per game, four-plus boards in both of those seasons. Thus far, only right around 6.5 points per game. I think that that's going to improve, and I think that New Orleans is going to be able to hold in there on their home floor. I wound up setting them as a four-point underdog, so I'm going to be taking the points. I wound up setting the total at 153. Rice is a team that they slow down for nobody. They have a lot of good three-point shooters, even like a Riley Abercrombie, who stands right around six foot nine. So gonna be taking a look at the over to go along with the points. 306, 846, 846. South Dakota is gonna be playing us to Southern. Southern's a seven and a half point underdog with your total at 144. I said Southern as a one-point favorite, so I'm gonna be taking a look at them on the money line. When it comes to South Dakota, they're still without AJ Pleasewit. He was someone that last season was able to put in there right around 16 to 17 points per game. He is still dealing with an injury. We don't know if we're going to see him at all this year. So that is very unfortunate. But when it comes to the Southern Bunch, I like what I've seen out of them. They wound up going on the road. They wound up taking down Tulane as an underdog. You've got Tyrone Lyons who's giving you 14 points per game. Jaden Sadler has been doing a nice job of anchoring this offense. Right around 12 points, 3.5 rebounds, 6.3 assists. Not a guy that is going to take a lot of threes. Last year shot 44% from distance in limited three-point attempts, but he's able to help out so many of these other guys.
guys as well. P.J. Bird has come in after he spent some time with VCU along with Colorado State. He's putting in there right around 9 points per game. Byron Whitley has been able to do a nice job. He is shooting right around 33% from three. A few seasons ago, actually shot 46.7% from three while he was at Murray State. So he's seen an increase in minutes. He's been able to take them and run with them. And then you've got Damian Sears, who comes in from St. John's, right around nine rebounds per game for South Dakota. You don't necessarily have ideal size for this team. Hunter Goodrick is able to give you right around seven and a half rebounds per game. But for South Dakota, had a very tough time with an Air Force team that starting out to be relatively okay. Tazos Camateros has been able to give you five and a half points, four and a half rebounds per game. I was expecting him to bust out and Xavier Fuller has been able to give the team a little bit of this and that, 10 points, five and a half rebounds per game. But when it comes to Southern, I think that they're going to do a solid job on the glass. I think that they just have better facilitating in general. South Dakota with Please Wit on the fold, they don't have that main ball handler. So, as a result, I'm going to be taking Southern as a money line underdog. I think that they should be able to pull this game off outright. And I set the total at a sky low 131. Southern looking to hang their out on defense. South Dakota showing no interest whatsoever in playing offense. So, going under and going Southern on the money line. 306, 847, 306, 848. Northwestern State is going to be playing us a Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech. 13 and a half point favorite. Total is currently off the board. I set my total at a 133 and I'm up setting Louisiana Tech as an 11 and a half point favorite. I do like our friend Kenny Lofton who looks a lot like Big Sexy aka Bartolok alone. 12.3 points, 9.3 rebounds. A big sexy of college basketball has been terrific. You take a look at Kobe Williams. He has given this team right around 3.7 assists per game as well but when it comes to Louisiana Tech, big thing for them, shooting is a little bit inconsistent. They're right now shooting 57% of the free throw line and 30% from three. That is going to kick itself up a little bit. You're going to have Isaiah Crawford get back to his old form line season. He had right around 12 points, five boards per game, and shot more around 38% from three. So I think that you're going to get him to be able to give you a little bit of something. And then you got Omari Archibald, who's able to be a little bit of a backseat guy. He's given the team three plus assists in four out of his five years on campus. Typically gives you right around 10 points per game. But you do take a look at Northwestern and say, Brian White is someone that has been sticking out for me. Right around 4.3 assists. Shooting 43% from three. Hasn't turned the ball over. Last year, I had 1.1 turnovers per game. And then Kendall Coleman down low. 20 points, 7.5 rebounds. He's not quite going to be able to match up with Kenny Lofton, but at the same time, I think that he's going to be able to do a relatively okay job with Northwestern State. Not a great shooting team themselves. Shooting 53% on the free throw line, 26% from three-point range, but they're not turning the ball over a whole lot. And Cedric Garrett, as a sophomore, has come in, given the team seven points, five boards. He's looked relatively solid in recent games for this bunch. So I do take a look at Northwestern State. I do think that they're going to be able to hold in this game. I wound up setting them as an 11.5 point underdog. So I'm going to be taking the 13.5. And, and when it comes to total, since we don't have an overnight line, I'll give you mine. It is 133. And we wrap things up with 306, 849, 306, 850. You've got yourself Gonzaga playing us at Bellarmine. Bellarmine's a 28 point underdog with your total at 155.5. Bellarmine was actually in the bottom 55 when it came to possessions per game last season. Gonzaga is a team that's looking to kick it up tempo, and Bellarmine, from their first few opponents of the season, they are showing no interest whatsoever in playing defense. You've got a Bellarmine bunch of which they wound up getting just completely barbecued by Purdue. You take a look at what they wound up doing against Murray State. Murray State lit them up from three-point range, and Gonzaga, they've got a whole bunch of guys that are going to just completely outman them. You've got Drew Timmy along Chet Holmgren, a duo that is combining for right in the neighborhood about 13 and a half rebounds per game. Timmy is averaging 19 points per game. We saw what he did to Texas. Now imagine what they're going to do to Bellarmine. You've got Rajir Bolton who wound up hitting that half quarter against Texas. He's been able to give the team 13 points per game. Gives this team some veteran leadership. You've got a Gonzaga team that, as a whole, is only shooting 34% from three. You know that that's going upward. You've got a guy in Jalen Strother who has really been able to emerge with 13 and a half points per game. Andrew Nemart, while he was in the SEC, he averaged five assists per game. Now he's averaging that with Gonzaga. Now you take a look at Bellarmine and Dylan Penn is able to give you 15 points and four assists per game. Problem is, he's also giving you nearly four turnovers per game. 
Been able to get a little bit of this and that out of Mr. Garrett Tipton. He has come in as a junior, and after being banged up last season, he's looked solid. He's been able to give the team nine points per game, so give him a little bit of credit. You've had Ethan Clay come, be able to give you five and a half points, three boards per game, but the big thing for Bellarmine is that this team is going to get dump truck down low. They don't have a single guy giving you more than four rebounds per game. Their turnovers have been a little bit unsightly. I think this becomes open gym. Gonzaga has been solid the last few years of being able to cover 30 plus point spreads. They haven't necessarily done that thus far this season. I think it starts here. Me, Gonzaga, 36 point favorite. Set the total at 162, so going over, laying the points with Gonzaga as well. And now we're at things up for Coast to Coast Hoops on this most wonderful Friday. A big thanks to our good friend Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN out there in Seattle for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, list goes on and on. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. They mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other ways via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, giving you guys picks and analysis on every single game, every single day, which means I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.